Welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality Analysis Podcast. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Brian Deacon. Hi, everybody. Howdy-ho. We have a couple of housekeeping items, and then the follow-up to the last episodes that we should have done at the end of the last episode, but it got late, so we're going to do it at the beginning of this one, which was I'd asked you to, like, kind of predict what was going to happen, and I was like, oh, you know what? And I made up some great other story. Yeah, it was awesome. That totally didn't happen. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of that stuff after I mention the other couple of housekeeping items. One, um, this episode will be uh, what eighty one through eighty three. Then we're doing eighty four and eighty five next week, which means the one after that is going to be the retro episode because eighty five is the end of this book. So um, we haven't picked out a guest yet for that one, but bear that in mind. We'll have a retro episode here in a couple weeks, which I'm stoked about, and fun. that will be. Yeah, the one that comes out in two weeks from this episode. And because then, as tangent-oriented as we already are, they give us complete carte blanche to get totally tangent-related. And it's just, you know, nice to get... <laughs> I, I, You know, it, it, there's a value to just taking a step back and, yeah. like, talking about Oh, yeah, the and then thing. it just lets us, like, yeah, just give whatever the entire impression is without having to kind of lock it into whatever chapters we were looking at. Exactly. So, that brings me to the second housekeeping item, which is... I mentioned some months ago, it seems like, I don't know, um, time is weird since we never leave the house anymore, <laughs> uh, that when we hit 400 patrons that do, uh, we want more, would do a fan art contest, and I totally forgot about that. We hit 400 a while ago, so um, the fan art contest, wait, was it 300? 400, I, I think. I forget which 100 it was. Whatever it was, we hit our goal. So um, we are doing a fan art contest, dun dun dun, dun. and the... Fan art contest will be, um, oh yeah, you're right, it was 400. So as far as due date, um, why don't we just go ahead and say four or five weeks from the end of this episode? What do you think, Brian? Uh, we got to give a, let's say five weeks from this episode being published. Yeah, that's you got to be good. definite, whatever it is. It can be anything, but we got to. Oh, like, I was letting you pick between four and five, not leaving it up in the air. Oh, okay. Yeah, I so what if we say five? Yeah, that sounds good. August 31st. Sure. Yeah, end of August. That's nice. Yeah. Easy to end remember. of August, and that will give us actually time to announce the winner on the 7th. So here's your incentives for entering. One, uh, so well, here's how this works. People will make art, and uh, I'm aware Mostly that there's defined. already a ton of existing art for Methods of Rationality, so this will have to be original work only. Even if you're the guy or girl or person who made the, the art in the first place, we don't want any resubmissions just to avoid the risk of someone else pretending to be the original author. So it has to be stuff made during the whatever window that this contest is live. And um, the winner also, will if, be if you're ripping on. off somebody else's fan art contribution, you really have to question what life decisions have brought you to where you are. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, they're, they're incentivized because the, <laughs> the winner will be voted on Patreon. Um, voting will be patron only. So... You don't even have to go back not, to me, I just go back to you. We need your dollar. It's what? We need your dollar. Even if it's not, it is. That's right. And the winner will get a $100 cash prize, US dollars, that is. And the runner-up will receive a $25 cash prize. So basically, everyone come in, send us your artwork, and then when we do the voting, I will contact you by whatever medium that you contacted me through, probably steven at doofmedia.com. And... Uh, yeah, actually, please send art straight to that address. It'll be the easiest way to, for, me to keep, for me to keep track of everything. And then I'll email you back if you won, or you can just check out the, you know, we'll announce it and all that stuff. But I'll reach out to the winner 
and Venmo you or however you want to receive the 100 bucks. And the, like I said, second place gets 25 bucks. So I think this will be fun. Pick anything up through the end of chapter 85, I think. Yeah, you can't would spoil be fine. it for me. What was that? You can't spoil it for me by having the art be like Quirrell was actually Scooby-Doo. Right. I, I considered like trying to do the stuff that would be available through the end of August, but I didn't want to plan all that, you know, arithmetic in my head. So episode 80 or chapter 85, rather. Um, you can also I have this just image. This won't be the winner because I only get one vote as well. Um, but I just think it'd be funny if anyone has the inclination to like just do a drawing of like me and Brian yelling at each other over microphones. As we do. Um, as we do. Or like talking. <laughs> I just have I just have like this cartoon image of us like, you know, J. Jonah Jameson just like, bring me Spider-Man. Right, I've got that. Fine. It's like, yeah. yeah, John Malkovich yelling at a strong Asian woman. <laughs> Wait, I'm the, I'm the Asian <laughs> You're woman? The str- oh, I'm certainly not the strong Asian woman. Oh, I'm the, that's, yeah, that's the John Mulaney bit yeah, when he's yeah. calling Blockbuster. Oh, that's uh, wonderful. I don't know, I don't look like an actor. My, my picture's online. If anyone doesn't have uh, access to it, I will. Your picture's online, and it looks like a strong Asian woman doing a, like a half-assed impression of Steven Zuber. Great. Your picture does not it. look like, you look like a totally normal, like, you know, decent-looking guy. And I don't know who this picture is. Oh, please. You're the one who looks like John Malkovich. Brian looks like John Malkovich with, like, slightly longer, well, actually, he's got a goatee now. So draw him with what but I call John Malkovich, Heisen. The, John Malkovich has goatee in, incarnations. So. Okay, I think I think the only thing I've seen that I'm pulling up in my head for some reason is Bird Box. I think I was wondering if he was like some kind of psycho assassin where he had the uh, goatee. But it does like I I toss that out there because it's totally weird for me. I'm like I don't see it at all. But sure. Well, it's the it's the full uh, like Heisen beard goatee Heisen as beard, I call it, bald, like bald Heisenberg head. from Breaking Bad. So if anyone wants to do that, or more likely any art from the book. Go nuts. That might and be more helpful. <laughs> then we'll have a, uh, a fan art contest for that. I will include a link to the um, announcement page for the fan art episode or for the fan art uh, contest in every episode description for the rest of the month. And uh, like I said, send your stuff over to Stephen at doofmedia.com and then we'll compile all of them for voting at the end of the month. Stephen with a V. Right. Stephen with a V. I've also got it you know, embedded here in the announcement page for the contest too so there'll be no misspelling but um yeah all right that's that fan art contest is happening it's real and you know what i'm kind of thinking that we will yeah we'll stop accepting submissions on the end of the month on the uh the 31st and then we will have a week of voting and then it's not just like you and me capriciously deciding which one we like best no way this is a community effort Uh, but we can lie about the vote no, we, I think it's it'll actually... It's like it's a reliable democracy. No, no, we have uh, the, the patron Damn polling it. shows who's in... Like, after you hit vote, it shows what the current polling is. Curse you, technology. Maybe we can disable that and lie, but we're not going to, <laughs> so... All right, let, let's cut into the stuff that I should have asked you about last week, about, like, remember when we last left our heroes, Hermione was sitting in the chair at the bottom of the Wisdom Gamut, being sentenced to go to hell, and Harry had... What was his like attempt before he called in was, a debt? Like uh, just Gotham, threatened, dr- yeah. threatened wishes. Oh yeah, you. Uh, what did he say? Basically, like you will risk my wrath or something. You will. You will earn my oh, enmity yeah. if earn you my do enmity, this yes. thing. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah, and then Lucius said, "Grow some pubes." <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And so actually, it ended up uh, being basically just a variation on that. But yeah, wait, so I I invented this completely awesome alternate 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 universe. Um, so my thought, what I thought was going to happen was that 
before you dive into it, I want to yeah. tell you that there actually is a fan fiction that does half the shit that you're going to talk about. Here. Oh, really? I yeah. Mean, well, I think, you know, it's the brute force algorithm to fan fiction. Like, all things exist. Actually, yeah, and actually, remember we get into it, like, I, something that came up after this was I was thinking of, like, all the other, like, magical schools there ought to be. Uh, and I'm sure there's a fan fiction for, like, 80% of them. But, um, but so what did I think was going to happen? Was I thought this was going to turn like really dark, and Hermione was going to go to Azkaban, um, and with, like they weren't going to pull any punches. It was going to be fucking ugly, um, and that that was going to be, and that that would sort of like drive home the like, oh, this is a fucking like abomination, uh, because then we were going to see it like real upfront and and personal, like how awful it is, and then some, like some really kind of having to go through the like living through the discomfort of. I, I guess what I imagined was like. Some scene of, and now Harry needs to go to sleep in full knowledge that at that very moment, Hermione's being tortured um, and like how fucked up that would be. Um, there was, And then the other little wrinkle I was going to think was that and then something that we weren't going to see in sort of a, you know, Rita Skeeter's squash like a bug kind of uh, setup was that something was going to happen where Quirrell, that later we would see like, oh, that was Quirrell sabotaging Harry's attempt to either exonerate her or set her free because he wants her to stay there and but we weren't going to know in the moment that that's what was happening but the later would be like oh that was some like completely sociopath like cruel sadistic thing on Quirrell's part that looked totally innocent in the moment um but no um yeah what else did I think uh oh so then I thought what else was I thinking um oh yeah and that Harry would be very uh, unaware of like how obvious it was that Quirrell was involved and Harry would continue to kind of not see it. Um, then I guess only sort of like kind of then like related later. And these were the kind of things that I was thinking like, oh, they might not come up for several more chapters, but um, we're due to have kind of more plot advancement around Sith Kermit. Like we don't know what that's about. And then there's kind of still kind of a hanging tension around what does Dumbledore know about what's going on? Because, like, to Harry right now, Dumbledore looks like an asshole. Um, but a lot of that is based on things Dumbledore knows that Harry doesn't. Um, we don't even know what those things are either. And so, like, what kind of tension is going on with Dumbledore around, well, if I, t you know, if I revealed more of my hand, Harry would see that I'm not one of the bad guys. But Dumbledore having to kind of, like, balance that out with... You know, oh, but what are the reasons I'm not saying these things? And so him kind of being stuck on there because, like, at least the impression I get right now, and I think Solid is, like, Dumbledore, and we keep, you know, playing that off, Dumbledore is, you know, trying to fight for the good guys um, down in the trenches where it's ugly and complicated. And so he's constantly having to make these, like, ugly trade-offs between, like, what does it take to get the job done and... How do I how do I stay being one of the good guys? Um, so I think he's still kind of in one of those like he's in caught in that tension between like he knows Harry's going to be the central figure in how does all this shit play out and doesn't want Harry to think of him as a bad guy. But you know what is he having to do? What things is he having to hide in order to advance the cause at the expense of looking like one of the good guys? So so yeah, none of those things happen in these few chapters though. Were you at least pleasantly but, surprised? Yeah, actually, yeah, the total, I mean, I don't know, it was it's not like it was completely in, you know, contradiction of what I thought, but yeah, I thought the, you know, so we'll get to see like this, this sort of like, you know, battle of the wills between Malfoy and Harry is, is pretty cool. And, and the, the um, 
like the way that plays out was interesting. Um, so yeah, yeah, no, so it wasn't, I, I, it was it was just entirely different. I think like, I had this other like interesting way this totally could have gone, no, but this was kind of cool. Um, if that and like that, what I was thinking might happen is like a huge commitment plot wise. Like you have to decide like, okay, the entire thing is moving this way now. Um, and you know, every event and character in the book has to move along with that if it goes that way. So, yeah, I think the recursive fanfic that I read that was about that had that prompt where Hermione goes to Azkaban. Um, I think that was following the Phoenix if my memory serves, but if not, someone will be able to correct me in discord and link to the awesome story that was done there. So it was just like, uh, well, I, I actually don't want to spoil anything, so I'll just say that it exists and it was fun. Some other thing. Uh, what else? Uh, so I'm like, now I'm looking through my notes of what I thought. I was, then I was just sort of like, not even a prediction, but a, I guess because we were seeing Amelia Bones in the courtroom, um, I guess because I like that character and it seems like like unexplored territory, I was like hoping, and I hope we still do get more of that. This seemed like it was like a, like the perfect environment for us to see Amelia Bones because it's some sort of like law and order thing and she's, you know, the top cop um, thing. But we got to see a little, but not as much as I like. I hope we see more. Um, uh, and then what I was expecting, I think this is probably still a solid bet, but uh, didn't come up yet. Like uh, Quirrell, actually both Quirrell and Hermione were pretty um, low, like low impact in, the, in these chapters. They, they're sort of like pushed to the background for this, but... Quirrell is sort of interesting how, like, kind of in the background he is and all this. So what I'm sort of anticipating coming up is some more, like, fuckery on Quirrell's part about, like, him. Because he's been sort of, like, sliding under everybody's radar as far as his involvement and everything. Um, so I'm expecting what I, I was thinking some just more, like, we're going to, there's going to be some more, uh, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? Some fakes from Quirrell. Um, around just like like he's got he's already started in the misleading about like oh I found Draco because I had certain which sounds like a totally like implausible explanation like oh I just happen to have you know um, you know monitoring spells around Draco like there's gonna be some more like trying to you know divert attention from Quirrell going on um, and I actually and actually that's even a, kind of a bit more enforced in that uh, in the way that he's been completely sort of like not at all on stage these last few chapters. So I think we're kind of due for more quarrel time. What what I like about that is well, there's a couple things like they, um, they mentioned that quarrel like at 623 or 633 or whatever flew, uh, sent a flu message, which I guess is to say that, you know, he texted St. Mungo's mm -hmm. saying, uh, Hey, I've got a sick Draco Malfoy here, which is just past the range of a yeah. time Turner's theoretical maximum. Mm -hmm. And so like that seems suspicious. Of course, plausible whatever but the, the, the thing that i've got about it the most about him being sidelined for all these chapters is that it was just kind of like a throwaway given that like oh yeah whenever the, anything happens it's the defense professor so that he's just he's being held for questioning <laughs> yeah. and so defense professor is always a suspect right so it's like i could just imagine some kid falls down the stairs and breaks their neck you know like i don't know in the middle of the night and it's like oh okay well haul in the defense professor just in case and uh let's mm -hmm. let's grab some witnesses and it's, this, it's just I mean, be yeah, and all this perfectly yeah. the way it, you know the the order of operations in these cases <laughs> now exactly. Yeah, this did make me even think more that like, especially because of how sort of canny we've seen that Dumbledore is underneath his bullshit. I'm crazy act that all of this going on like Dumbledore does not have the same blinders on 
about Quirrell that Harry does. So I think like not being so I'm, I think Dumbledore's got it is knows way more about what's going on than he does. I just don't know like it seems entirely possible that Dumbledore entirely knows that Quirrell is Voldemort and that he's just sort of playing this. I was like, well, okay, this is how the story has to play out. Um, and that his line about like, oh, I didn't think Voldemort would come hang out, you know, just hang out in the hallways just to fuck with some of the students. Like those are all just like, you know, blunt, you know, in your face lies. Um, and he like, does like, do some off screen stuff. Knows everything. He does seem to know a lot that he's not letting on, but there's been yeah. some off screen moments where he's like, he doesn't seem to be operating under that assumption. Like, you know, he gets yeah. the map from the Weasleys and then he's oh, like, yeah, show, yeah, me yeah, Tom show me Tom. Riddle, oh yeah. You know, you're right. But yeah. no one's around. And so yeah. he's, he's not doing that for anyone's benefit. Yeah, especially yeah, because we saw that as like there are no way that was just us and Dumbledore in that uh, in that yeah. scene. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. When it, although you know, just the sentence "Show me Tom Riddle" could mean all kinds of things. Um, "Show me Tom Riddle" could be like, "Oh, I know he's here already." Anyway, um, that's a good point. Maybe. Yeah. Well, no, because he knows that Quirrell's being held for questioning. But maybe he knows. Well, yeah, I guess so. But yeah, he could be double checking on like he knows, but he wants to make sure. Or, yeah, who knows? I don't know. Like, I mean, so that could totally be true. I guess what just sort of pinged in my head is it's not plausible that that Dumbledore is as ignorant of everything going on as he's pretending to be. Like, he's got it. There's he's more aware of what's going on than he's letting on to anybody else. I I like the idea that Dumbledore <laughs> is putting on like the, you know, whatever the insane mask yeah. of, you know, oh, don't mind me. I'm just, uh, yeah, you know. It's uh, interesting how he's sort crazy of crazy like, bumbling idiot, and he hasn't secretly a mastermind. Yeah, but he has. While he hasn't abandoned that that idea in front, like he's dialed it back in front of Harry, where he's sort of like partially admitted to levels of like I do actually know what's going on, know what's going on, and I'm I am operating as a you know competent human being. But you know, so he hasn't completely abandoned the like ooh I'm crazy thing, but he has at least as he's needed to in front of. Harry and, and someone in front of McGonagall, at least as we've seen it, that he's he's dialing it back as much as he needs to. And that and it's sort of like and but he's sort of managed to, to make that stay believable that like, oh, this wasn't entirely just a bullshit act. But but I know you caught a little bit of it. So I'm going to have to sort of like, you know, qualify the level of crazy that I am. Yeah, he's certainly capable of like keeping it reined in. Like I remember when I think it was when uh, Harry was barging in like on the first Thursday or something about potions class and Snape being a bully and Dumbledore is like laughing so hard that he's beating his desk and crying. Yeah. And it's like, okay, this is not the, the behavior of a well man. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, he, he hasn't done anything like that. I think in months and book time. Yeah. So like he's, if he's still playing the crazy person in front of other people, he's not doing it like what it matters now. Um, yeah. Maybe we'll, Get all the resolutions to all these questions and more in the coming and chapters. More. And what was the other time they'd be completely off in the weeds tangent I went in? It was, so I, so as, as I was thinking like, okay, I want to know more about Quirrell's alternate bullshit backstories. And then it reminded me of the, the scene where as they escape from Azkaban, that he's got this sort of like mysterious helper woman that they kind of meet and helps them. And then they just kind of like leave. I wanted like wanted to know more about like okay what was the backstory around that, and then I want I just maybe just because it was sort of appealing I wanted kind of I want to hear more about like the story of you know Quirrell talking about you know what he claims is some other Voldemort but the Voldemort that went up to the you know magical Kung Fu castle in Tibet and murdered everybody 
I'm like, oh, I want to hear more about that. And then I got this weird idea in my head of like, then that went to that, you know, Asian mountain retreat thing uh, always registered as Doctor Strange for me. And so uh, then the image I had in my head was Voldemort going in and murdering the, I can't remember her character, but the Tilda Swinton character. The ancient doctors, one. The ancient one, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, I'm like, oh, yeah, because that would be like a cool crossover, like Voldemort killing the ancient one or in like some awesome like magic-y battle where they're like, you know, launching spells and shit at each other. And so then I'm like, okay, Rafe Fine and Tilda Swinton, that would be, oh, there's like two really good actors. That'd be a really cool scene. And of course, all things are on the internet. So I was able to like Google that. So I found in our notes, I, I, oh, somebody should explain me like, what the Tilda fuck Swinton is that? In this picture, the guy who played Quirrell? Yeah. Uh, no, the guy who played Voldemort. That's Voldemort. Oh, nice. That's Rafe Fine and Tilda Swinton in some sort of publicity still force except they're not in character it's Ray fine and tilda swinton both looking lovely i have no idea what the fuck that's about because as far as i know they haven't been in a movie together but there you mm. go maybe they're chummy oh yeah and that was the other and in search of that image for no good reason i also had to run across the phrase of harry potter and the deathly swallows yeah which i'm sure is about some like me. which is some like uh death birds that's clearly what's it about is uh, car- carnivorous birds is is yeah <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to maintain that and just, like I said, that, I'll leave that link blue and, we'll just, uh, and leave that pres- link. preserve my innocence. We'll just whistle and walk along. <laughs> la, la, la. That gif. I, th- I have this image run through my head probably once, at least once a month of Grandpa Simpson walking into the strip club, seeing Bart behind the counter, and then just like while whistling, takes off his hat, puts on the rack, sees him in the same motion, just goes back to the hat rack, grabs that, and just leaves. Never happens. It's like, oh, Although, yep, you know, never as I, mind. As I look at this picture of uh, people could Google it of uh, Ray Fine and uh, Tilda Swinton, I'm like, I would tell it, whatever movie these guys are in, I would totally want to see it now. I'm going to have to Google and see if it was. I'm like, I like that. I'm in. I'm sold. Yeah. So. Speaking of sold, oh man, I got this. Oh, Speaking of go. sold, Harry is going to try and sell the blood debt owed from House Malfoy to House Potter um, in exchange for Hermione Granger's life. That Take that fucking segue, God. That was a stretch, dude. No, no, I'll give it I know. Like seven out of ten. I'll try and sell that, that segue. Pretty, that was pretty sophomore effort. <laughs> does, does my sell that segue joke pun get me any, no, any no, redeeming you points there? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. All right. So well, so, of- so so we so we entered the scene. We were basically in kind of cliffhanger moment. We're we're still in the wizard gamut in the middle of the of the trial, and um, I mean it's basically we're just sort of at sentencing. Um, and so I've lost at the I've lost track of where the cutoff was between the chapters. Had we already established that before the last chapter, we had already gotten to the point where we knew that Malfoy was going to try to was wanting to send her to Azkaban, right? Yeah, the, so the they just voted to send her to Azkaban. Yeah. And so then they were about to, like, announce the verdict. And, uh, and like, like they, 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 tall- they tallied the votes. And then it was like, okay, yeah, now they're going to announce the vote tallying is where we cut off. And there was this nice line where it opens up where it says, The lords and ladies of the Wizengamot in, pl- in plum-colored oh, robes yeah. marked with a silver W stare down in rebuke at a young girl trembling in chains. If they had, in any particular ethical system, damned themselves, they clearly thought quite highly of themselves for having done so. <laughs> yeah, that's a good line. I like that. And it, it's nice because it comes like with that, you know, kind of dripping scorn mm-hmm. where this is third-person view, but it's from, you know, Harry's perspective. Like, what... I mean, this is just... you. you I don't know. It, it paints that really well. If you you, yeah. you imagine watching this happen, and you're looking at these faces of these people in this crowd, and it's like, you guys... 
You guys don't see what the fuck you're doing. Sort of like smug self righteousness. And just the really good on you. The fact that they've 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 committed this atrocity Mm -hmm. and they're not like abashed or nervous or whatever. They're like, aha, we've done justice. And it's like you bunch of fucking pricks. They're looking at each other like left and right to nod at each other in 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 approval of their behavior. Yeah. Ah, yes, we showed that my butt bitch. She'll learn her place. Oh man. All right. So we get into it. Oh yeah. And then as they're announcing it, we get some more delicious umbrage here too. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, when I reread that, I I had lost track. I guess I was thinking it was more um, that it was the like. There's somebody because not other than Dumbledore that sort of like running the show, but um, no, I guess not. But yeah, the the fact that it was because so umbrage says like basically shut the fuck up. You've been you know interrupting enough. Uh, as Harry, because Harry blurts out, and I'm just like, "Be quiet." Right. Um, well, and I think the person I'm thinking of is the person who's like announcing the votes or whatever. Oh, is that? Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. 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 So, like, yeah, because I read it as sort of like, oh, somebody who kind of has more of a right to be like raising their voice and telling people what to do. Um, so then, it, as I realized that, it was sort of like, oh, it's even more kind of obnoxious for her to just sort of be inserting herself in there and you know deciding who does and does not have the right to be talking, especially as like- she's butting up and. She's blurting out who has the right to blurt out. Yeah. Dolores Umbridge just being the delicious Umbridge that we all love to hate. Delicious. I think I think it was uh, Rowling who put it this way, but like there's like it was just something fun about writing a character who you want to hit with a shovel. <laughs> and if, if she didn't put it that way, someone else did that I read 20 years ago when I read these books. And, and it's like, you're right. That's exactly the, the emotion that you have when you're reading <laughs> Dolores Umbridge. It's just like, I just want to... I want you know to to hit you if you would just shut up. You're the worst, and it's so delightful uh, when you're not encountering that character in real life and in fiction, and when they get their comeuppance in fiction. Uh, well, she stands out so much from like any other character where she's like so clearly like just fucking evil while pretending to be sweetness and light. Yeah. So it's like it's just perfect. Like the character you love to hate. It's delightful and horrible. It's lovely. Um, also, the fact like making her like the, all of that faux niceness makes it easier to like relate like you can imagine one or several people in your real life that come off that way god i hope not so, no one i know anyway no one but i, I know, know that i can't imagine them. you're right yeah um let's see so we've got uh oh I, I liked how harry phrased his whole thing when so he says you know okay well you're gonna pay your debt yeah from the debt owed from house Malfoy to house potter and then you know malfoy's like house malfoy owes no debt to you and his whole like spiel here i'm surprised you've forgotten surely it was a <laughs> cruel and painful period of your life laboring under the imperious curse of he who must not be named and um then i like uh like oh uh, fuck oh yeah yeah well, yeah like, that's madame, what it was imperious yeah. curse yeah right and then madame bones was like yeah of course house malfoy could not possibly forget that debt unless perhaps lord malfoy is to tell us he's misremembering something i should take quite a professional <laughs> interest in that <laughs> mm. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. That did kind of give off the vibe of like, like that sort of entitled rich people thing of like, he knows he got got off on a technicality and he's sort of forgotten to have any kind of obligation to play along. Um, he's like, oh well, yeah, we all know that was bullshit, but I beat that rap. Like, fucking move on, people. Right. You all know I'm a Death Eater. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> he's like, oh fuck. Okay, we're in a courtroom. I guess I have to pretend. Oh yeah, I'm literally yes. in court right now. Yes. I- it was yeah. the Imperious Curse. Okay. I'll, I'll let you take the reins from here in the summary of the kind of things. That go on. <laughs> yeah, my, I, my notes on this were particularly oh. snarky. <laughs> so, and and I, hilarious. You don't, you don't have to read your notes. Lushy says, you. what the fuck, Harry? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, since since I mispronounced it or misspelled it, I think I misspelled it in one of the notes months and months ago. Luscious. Now every time Brian writes it, it's Luscious Malfoy instead of Lucius. Jackson Malfoy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a better name. That and, you know, Julian Sands is just, he's, he's luscious. Um, yeah, I know, actually, a totally little aside, but they, uh, we describe even a few more times um, uh, Malfoy, like, grabbing his cane, holding onto a silver cane. We keep getting that described. So it's kind of a little more of this, like, you know, threatening little reminder that there's something fucking going on here with the dude's cane. Um, and I don't know if that's just there to just be the sort of, like, constant, like, low-level buzzing of, like, threat or if that's going to like play into the plot later but we keep having out there like there's some kind of like nasty he's got some forbidden weapon in here people what i like is that he's not prohibited from bringing it to the wisdom gamut but of yeah. course he's not because everyone gets to bring in their pistols <laughs> yeah, right? that's true yeah you know an armed society is a polite society <laughs> <laughs> and as dysfunctional and moronic as magical britain is they are definitely polite. You have to give that to them. With all of their passive-aggressive, insincere bullshit, it is polite. Yeah, they so, very politely voted, just on Hermione Granger exactly. to ask about it. But they said please and thank you while doing it. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Half the audience is not going to know whether you're being tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> Fuck um, <laughs> They all know. Everybody knows. Half the audience that the word this is like episode 30-something is their first episode. I don't know. Rarely sincere as a Brian Deacon. So, um, so they do get it. So, and then uh, Luscious has to sort of cop to it. He's like, okay, yes, fine. There's a debt between Potter and Malfoy. But if there is, then you have to give me some money too because he just sort of like unilaterally claims that, okay, whatever debt we did owe is not as much as Hermione owes to us. And it is apparently 100,000 galleons less. Um, so that's right. kind of the number he tosses out. Um, he's like, okay, but if we're gonna if we're gonna wipe it clean, then it has to be. And because monetary compensation is also in the law, that if we absolve the debt to House Potter, then it also has to be with a hundred thousand galleons. And he kind of tosses that number out there as the ridiculously large number that he knows nobody would ever agree to. I think it's on the order of like five million dollars. Yeah, actually, I think uh, Harry even like. I think it was like two or something. Like, I think Harry actually even names a... Oh, two million pounds, you're right. Yeah, pound. Yeah, he names an actual, like, muggle amount of money. Uh, but yeah, we could see it's a whole fucking lot of money. And I think at least, like, uh, if not definitely in that moment, at least towards the... Uh, within this chapter, we get to see that it is more money that even though Harry inherited a whole lot of money, it is more than he has. Um, it's close to twice what he has. Yeah, yeah so I guess, yeah, we, uh, what it, way it works out is that we... You see that Harry has 40,000 galleons, um, so he will owe 60. Or was it, do I have that backwards? Anyway. I think that's right. About, it's either 40, 60, or 60, 40. But, um, and so then we do get a little, uh, we get some internal monologue between Harry and his houses of trying to, where he's, and he's sort of irritated with himself that he's having the inner debate about, okay, you know, am I willing to spend 100,000 galleons to save Hermione? Um and then it's sort of interesting because it describes it as while we get to sort of see this inner debate with himself play out, then it also describes it as that there was no hesitation and he just puts it out. Yes, I accept. Um, so it's kind of like both at the same time. But yeah, anyway. it's this fun sort of like, uh, I don't know what you call it. Um, I mean, there's the deliberation of like, oh, shit, you know, this is kind of like going to ruin my life as far as uh 
I mean, it, it's it's hard for me to kind of put myself in his place. You know, he's 11. He doesn't need to buy his own food or pay his own rent. So, like, mm-hmm. it's not like that matters. But he's realizing that he has large ambitions and that at some point you'll have to start paying people. And it's nice having that around. And, you know, it's it's kind of like, I don't know, being told, yes, you can pay for your, your sick child surgery, but you're going to have to sell your house and your car and, uh, I don't know, you know, get rid of your entire retirement or something. And it's like, yeah. you know, while that isn't a decision people will out loud flinch from it's it's not like you're a monster for taking that into account that that's that is a taboo trade-off as he lays out in the next chapter he gives the the classic example of the hospital administrator like this is that situation right yeah i kind of like that at least we'll see we'll see if the peanut gallery agrees with my take but the so my understanding because i don't think we ever actually or do i mean you can correct me but i don't think we call out explicitly the idea of taboo trade-off like that term and what it means but I think like this is basically it where and I think the, how this plays out in this and, and the following chapters is Harry makes a basically a not rational choice. And we're sort of backed up that that like and that was the right move. Um, and we get to see that that dynamic sort of laid out all for us with how he talks about this later with Dumbledore. Um, but that and, and this kind of internal argument he has with, you know, between his Gryffindor and Slytherin and Hufflepuff and. Oh yeah, and I guess Ravenclaw too. Um, that, that so he sort of like explicitly acknowledges that like this decision doesn't make sense on paper, but I'm making it anyway. Um, and I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, and that sort of got and kind of you know I called this like taboo trade-offs. But I, I don't, at least at least my my read of it was yes, this doesn't make sense, and yes, that's what you're supposed to do. Um, yeah, that we we don't get the vocab jump dump that we usually get with harry's like inner science monologues yeah. at the end of the next chapter when he's reflecting like i said the the classic example is the hospital administrator who gets the you know yeah. do you want to spend a hundred million dollars on this kid's liver or this five-year-old girl will die or something and the hospital administrator has to say no because i need to you know keep the lights on around here basically um thereby condemning this child to die and so in the study, they ask people, like, what do you think the hospital administrator should do? And most people are just pissed that the question exists. And they're pissed yeah. that the hospital administrator is deliberating on it. Like, of course, you save the child's life. You do whatever it takes. But, like, in in large, uh, tribal trade-off is basically trading off, like, a secular value for a sacred value. You know, the sacred value of not save, of, of not never sacrificing a child's life. Um, yeah, and, like, in, as far as Harry being irrational about it, it's interesting. He's definitely not being economical and maybe it's my failure to be a proper rationalist when I say that I, I completely understand Harry and I would do what he's doing. Um, and yet, like, it's not the economically sound decision. But as he puts it, like, that's not how people can live. And we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll talk yeah, about that yeah, later. I mean, that was, they're, his, they're was a really good line was, uh, but human beings can't live like that. I think, like, if you give yourself permission to segregate good and rational, like they are always not always exactly the same thing. Um, that I like, I think it's good. It, like to me, this felt like, like explicitly like s- stating that, that there are times when you put this aside um, without, and that like, that sort of like reserves the validity of all the times that you do it um, sort of acknowledging the places where, where you don't um, because it felt like, and it made like this is some of these sort of like my, where my thoughts have been hovering around a lot of this. And it's funny that like, cause he actually uses the word utilitarian later, which is what I had thought of in, in, in thinking about this is that a lot of the, the ideas around these sort of like very kind of 
technical ethical decisions, um, they revolve around kind of a hypothetical level of certainty about what you're doing. Um, and when you have these, these sort of like weird little thought experiments about, well, what would I do in the case of, you know, oh, I could save X number of people with a million dollars, but it would cost me a million dollars to buy somebody's organ. Like that never happens. And, and, you know, never in the, I mean, sure, that happens sometimes, but it's never going to happen in your life. Um, and that, that sort of approach to like this other, like in, in the other phrase he looks, uh, phrase Harry's use, uses is love doesn't walk away. Like it's kind of more like you just sort of adopt a general way of being in the world. Strategy sounds like a little kind of anal way to put it, but you, you just sort of like say, okay, this is the kind of person I'm going to be. And in absence of knowing any better, this is what I'm going to do in any given situation. And you commit yourself to that. And like that is the, you know, rule of thumb heuristic thingy that works for you in general and is the good way to go even when it doesn't make sense unless, because I think like in this situation, if, if Harry knew X will definitely do this one thing and Y will definitely do this other thing. And one of these is definitely better then you obviously choose one. But in like a, in the face of uncertainty, you, you end up having to go with these like really lame, really half informed, you know, rules of thumb for how do I act? And a lot of the time they are, kind of just informed by, well, what would a good person do with a very super inexact definition of what good person means uh, with a very sort of like emotional level of registering how that, that fits in your head. But that, that like, that's like, that's what we're left with at the end of the day in a lot of situations and what you just have to kind of go with. And I, and I liked, at least for me, like what this felt was like a, like acknowledging that that's the situation he's in. Um, and that that was the decision he made. And it was the right one in a very different kind of sense of right, where you don't even know if it was the correct one, was it the best choice to make? But like, oh, this is like, if you're gonna pick what kind of human you wanna be, and you don't know all the situations you're going to be faced with, this is the kind of human you wanna be, and the decisions that that person would make. Yeah, I think I'm on board so, with that. Like, it's, it's largely like, you know, the, the rationality tool set is a is a an equipment box that you can use to navigate uncertain situations and to optimize your life in whatever avenue you should cho- you you should choose to do, um, up to and including like just you know making yourself happier or uh, like epistemically trying to be a more uh, have have a more solid view of the world, um, like a, a more accurate one, like you know a a, a rationalist wouldn't discount astrology because it's low status or because dumb people believe in astrology. They would discount it because it's not true, as it turns out. Um, and if there was strong, compelling evidence coming out in favor of astro- astrology, they would be the, you know, mm-hmm. if they were consistent, they'd be the first ones to jump on board. Being like, no way, I didn't know you could do magic. Like, I need to be able to now read the stars so I can predict the future or something. Um, you know, as far as, like, you know, tabling those those tools to handle a situation where it's like sure i could do the quote-unquote right thing and then be miserable for the rest of my life knowing i damned my best friend to die in azkaban mm-hmm. um like it it it's just applying the, the same tool set but to a different like to a different end right yeah. um it's like do i want to be the kind of person who's going to be miserable forever or do i want to be the kind of person who saved my best friend's life yeah. um well yeah and i guess like for me like and like it's always comes down to like um you know 
state it in the most stupid person way possible and do you still like how it sounds? Like Harry's just like, do I want to be the kind of person that decided, meh, fuck it, um, or do I want to be the kind of person that did everything he could to save his friend? Um, and sort of, and I, I, and I really liked how this all played out in these chapters in that it felt like sort of a very kind of three-dimensional self-aware kind of look at the rationality stuff because Harry's very sort of like consciously dealing with that. I mean, he, he t- starts tossing around terms like utilitarian and, and stuff where like, like the takeaway for me felt like the, the rationality approach to these things is the thing you should do whenever you can and sometimes you can't. And so then make, you should make a conscious decision about, a conscious decision about what decisions are you going to make when you don't know any better. Um, and that was sort of a very kind of, and, that, and that's sort of like, he's sort of like drawing a circle around, this is the situation where an entirely emotional reaction is entirely the correct way to go. Um, where he says, you know, I don't know what the right thing to do is here, but nice people watch out for their friends and in absence of knowing what the fuck else I should do, I should be the kind of person that does anything they can to save their friend. Um, and so I really liked that because it was both, it was sort of like validating everything Harry has done and said sort of in advance of this kind of sciencey, rational, logical way of going while also being like, you know, but this is the way you have to work, you know, in the real world when you're faced with stuff. It was kind of cool. And then I, and we'll kind of get into it a little bit later, but I like we sort of did kind of a swapping of places when Harry's arguing later with Dumbledore about this. Like Harry is sort of like taking the other side where Harry is kind of going with like, no, you just have to do the thing that, you know, Dumbledore is trying to like make the, you know, sort of, you know, long game logical argument. And Harry's the one that's just like, well, no, you just don't do this. Um, so I kind of like that it that they swap places on that. But. Yeah, emotions run high, and I it, that that conversation will have to give its yeah. due attention when we get there for sure. Um, yeah, no, I think I I like all that. I think it's uh, I don't have much to add. You know, it's um, my own <laughs> thoughts on this aren't aren't quite as organized. So I will just say that's that's good enough for government work. And we can keep rolling. <laughs> where do we? I, now I've forgotten where like we ended with plot advancement. So we ended at the part where Harry said yes, and then Dumbledore kind of interjects, oh, and yeah. he says uh, no, and it, his voice is shaking, and, he, and it says he was visibly trembling. He says, I'm sorry, Harry, but this is not your choice. I'm still the guardian of your vault. And he's, Harry's just like, what the hell? And Dumbledore says, I can't let you go into to debt to Lucius Malfoy. And then Harry, I like this moment where he just thinks in all all caps, italics, and says, die. Die, I know. And he, know. he doesn't know which part of him it's spoken. Um, and he, like, he, he imagines, like, the emotion kind of taking wing and killing the guy, which is intense. Um, but it, it paints, like, that nice picture of just the visceral, like, uh, indignant isn't strong enough word, but you know what I'm saying. Like, the, like, are you fucking kidding me? Uh-huh. Yeah, where was, oh, yeah, like, like, we've hit Harry's wall with this. I like that we sort of, like it seemed like what played immediately for me was all of these unknowns around like Dumbledore is already playing forward. There's a whole bunch of underlying shit going on here that you don't know about, but dear God, you do not want to go into debt with the Malfoys. So all this stuff that Harry doesn't know and we don't get to know either, but you can see like that's the tape that's playing for Dumbledore as he's, you know, clear like, and this clearly like bugs the shit out of Dumbledore that he has to do this. But, or that he feels like he has to do this. Um, so we've got that all going on. But then and it's just Harry's kind of like very automatic, like, okay, this is not going to fucking work. And 
like and Harry's willing to go to the wall as far as that needs to go. Um, and I like what one of the things I thought about this kind of in the notes. I don't even remember I put it in my notes, but like what the way this stuck out to me was the the sort of level of like what what I derisively called like righteous indignation before with kind of the way that Harry was arguing with Dumbledore um, about the whole, you know, 40 clan members uh, rumbling in the hallway. Like on paper, Harry's level of, you know, rage and righteous indignation are roughly the same. Um, but it like this, it, it much far, far more humanizing in this sense. And it made me in this instance um, and it made me, think about like what, so what was the difference between that and, and that so, and how much of it, it really is. It's just about like tone and delivery is so much about dictates like how much, how appealing it is. But I think a lot of it also had to do with, and it may be, maybe just that I read it differently, but like Harry arguing with Dumbledore about like, oh, I was stopping a bunch of bullies felt a lot more just about Harry trying to be right and didn't feel like Harry had any sort of emotional investment on actually protecting anybody. He was just like, was just trying to stand up for the right thing and beat up bullies because I'm the, I'm the kind of person that would do that. This time it felt like Harry was going just as aggro, just as extreme as before, even more so actually. But the motivation felt like, my God, my friend's about to be tortured. I have to do anything I can to stop that. And then he's just trying to dig through you know, his head go to his dark side, figure out anything that can stop that from happening. And those two feel very, like, very different to me. Like, like the other one just felt like sort of like, this is how you build future dictator of the world is just somebody sort of self-righteously convinced of their own, you know, the justice of their cause versus somebody who's just operating from a very not selfish, like, because at this moment, Harry's very much not thinking about himself. He's not thinking about abstract concepts of right and wrong while he is doing sort of like weird ethical math about this, that, or the other thing. The primary thing going on with him at the entire moment is, oh my God, that's my friend Hermione sitting there and they're about to take her off to be tortured. Uh, and so he's very much in this like, not about me. How do I help my friend? Um, and so that, and then that makes like that of his whole levels of like, I am willing to burn the world down to stop this at least for me, like that plays off like way more human and I'm able to like kind of empathize with that a lot better because like the, the motivations for that are kind of so much more clear and kind of like unambiguously good. Um, yeah. But, and I mean, you know, at the risk of, of inciting the, um, you know, <laughs> uh, at the risk of coming off sure as the dark side. Right. Well, like the, the the thing with bu the bullies, part of what makes it feel a little more hollow than this is that like bullying had been a thing since literally Harry's first day at school. Mm -hmm. He walks up and sees uh, Neville being bullied by like five or six older Slytherins. And yet he wasn't going to set the world on fire to save Neville. This was just some kid that he knew in school. So mm -hmm. like, you know, the thing with the bullies, it was more than just about the bullies. And he wasn't acknowledging that. He was just saying, nope, bullying is wrong and I'll burn the world down to stop it. And it's like, dude, you didn't give a shit six months ago. Yeah. You've been at Hogwarts for, this was like well after Christmas, right? The uh, the Hermione business. Yeah. So like it it was it was about protecting his friend. 
And it's like, okay, yeah, I didn't really give a shit until the stakes got personal. Yeah. But he, he never acknowledges that. Yeah. 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 And even if you do sort of like, if if somebody tried to call out like, oh, Harry, why, you know, why is it, it shouldn't be any more important that it's Hermione than anybody else, blah, blah, blah. Like, even if Harry's like, well, yeah, and it is just totally personal and maybe that is valid, but like there's something about sort of the honesty around the motivation because like the motivations are kind of good no matter how much you want to try to like draw imperfections around them but like even if you were going to try to call that out, nobody does but if you were going to try to call that like oh you only care because she's your friend you know not that she's like quote any better than anybody else like even if that's true you're still like you know what that's still totally fine like this is his friend and he's trying to help her he's trying to protect her from being hurt right and that the, if that's if that had been more of the level of conversation he's having with Dumbledore or if he had at least yeah. been willing to acknowledge that to himself it would have felt a little less hollow yeah um, I'm not saying just to hold off the, you know, hold, keep your pitchforks where they belong. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying I'm not saying I sided with Dumbledore in that whole argument. I'm saying that that Harry's motivations clearly weren't just about bullying is wrong. He encountered bullies on his first day of school and could give less of a shit about them. Like, yeah, he stopped them. They were bad or whatever. But he accepted it as like just a fact of, of school society. It wasn't until the stakes got real for him um, that he had any seemingly vested interest in doing anything about it yeah and i think and i you know i don't think this is a coincidence that we're seeing this contrast like we're getting to see these two events around which you know that harry's getting super fired up and willing to because like before he talks about like oh i'm willing to let so-and-so die or ruin his life or whatever like um, we're getting to see harry being completely over the top with the stakes that he's willing to go to but then we're getting to see that contrast between like, okay, what are his motivations between those two things? Because one of them feels very quarrel. That first one felt very self-involved um, and like just around sort of like a, a wielding of power. And this other one just feels about like this very human, I have to help my friend thing. And, even, and then we kind of almost invite in a whole bunch of illogical, well, maybe that doesn't make sense stuff on top of it but it's kind of like but that's okay the the reasons here are good and then you sort of like at least for me like you start to sort of trust like okay even if this ends up not working out and the decisions made based on this super emotional you know state of mind end up being bad you at least trust like okay if we're in if you're sort of like places coming from like this kind of just compassionate selfless kind of like just trying to help my friend then you will adjust accordingly in a way that you sort of, that is good, um, as opposed to just sort of like trying to have everything kind of coldly figured out in advance and then, you know, asserting your righteousness in the cause. But, but, but I, so I think like, like these two kind of like are kind of put in contrast to each other, I think in a way that sort of, you know, shows us like that's the difference. Like Harry's throwing the equal amounts of, sort of enthusiasm is the wrong word, but equal amounts of willingness to burn the world down. Um, but we get to sort of see this like kind of very big difference between the motivations behind it. Um, yeah. And I think I that tells us something about sort of like his inner quarrel, because at least like the way this feels like it's, it's playing out for me, is like Harry's like figuring out how to deal with his inner quarrel. Um, and we're sort of getting to see these two different ways that he's doing that. So I can dig it. Yeah. Um, I like the, the exchange following Dumbledore saying, I, I'm not going to let you do this, Harry. I'm actually, you know, I write, I write your checks. You're not old enough to write them yet. Um, yeah. Harry says, 
like, well, first off, he tells Fox, like, hey, scream at him. And then he, Fox doesn't, but he hits him with his wing, which is kind of <laughs> cute and funny. I mean, I like in, that the, also, in the like, saddest no. way possible. It's not merely cute and funny, but it's, they, he, he surmises that it's it's probable that the Wizengamut demanded a spell of silence we put on Fox, because otherwise he'd be screaming the whole fucking time, because this is a travesty. Yeah. And uh, Dumbledore says, I cannot, Harry. I'm doing what I must do. And then Harry's looking at him and he says, then I will do what I must. You do realize that, don't you? And like, there's this, he said, it says that uh, Harry said up to Dumbledore as though the two of them stood alone in the room. And yeah, that's uh, a good scene. I like that so like, it's kind of like the rest of all this falls away and he's just telling Dumbledore and he's like, nah, I will go to Azkaban and I will just, I will destroy everything that could threaten Hermione there. Um, he says, I will, I will not allow Hermione Granger to be eaten by Dementors under any circumstances, period. And then uh, he says, yeah, I'll go to Azkaban before she can be taken there and start snapping my fingers, which I like how he's just still yeah. playing up that part of his legend. <laughs> um, and then he says, but by the time she gets there, there won't be an Azkaban anymore. And then people start laughing. And then the guy who does the the voice later on about like, oh, we'll go off and destroy Azkaban then. Will you be selling tickets? The guy who does that <laughs> just does it the perfectly sarcastic way. Um, and then basically... Dumbledore says, okay, well, if you're going to risk everything for her, then I withdraw my objection. Do whatever you want. And then you just get like this kind of fade back into the existence. And Yeah, um, that was a good Malfo- effect to it. Like, again, it felt sort of very television. Like you could sort of picture the whole world of the courtroom, you know, closing out all the sound going down and that just being a conversation between Dumbledore and Harry. And then it like all then coming back. Yeah. And then yeah. of course, Lucius is not having that. Yeah. And, so he says, you know, you'd truly pay a hundred thousand galleons to save one mudblood girl. Um, and, uh, he's like, well, you know, what, what the hell is your, why are you doing this? And it's like, she's my friend. Yeah. And like then I like, you pointed out this flex too, because Dumbledore, uh, Lucius says, by the report I received, you cannot even cast the Patronus charm. And Dumbledore knows this. The power of a single Dementor nearly killed you. You would not dare near venture. You would not dare venture near Azkaban in your own person. That was in January. This is this April. Is April. I know it's such a it was such a cool because it's kind of this non-obvious flex, but yeah, it was kind of cool. It's like, yeah, with the, because it sort of like not only implies sort of like, oh yeah, no, I totally can, and you don't know any better, but. Like, what else should you be worried about Harry Potter can accomplish in three months? <laughs> like, the school year ends in what? July? Yeah. Don't fuck yeah. with me. Give me a couple more months. I'll, I'll blow your mind. Don't, don't fuck with me. Um, actually, I think the school year ends at the, like, the first week of June or something. Mm-hmm. That sounds right. Moves. In any case, uh, I like how, I can't remember exactly how um, Lucius puts it, but he says, he says something along the lines of, uh, you pretend that you can destroy Azkaban, yeah. and Dumbledore pretends to believe you, and like yeah, that made me he's think just like kind we... of putting all this in order in his head. Dumbledore doesn't know, so we know that, and but Dumbledore, as from what we know, Dumbledore does not know that Harry could, does he? Um, Dumbledore saw him destroy a Dementor. Oh, he did see that, so I guess so. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, so it's, and it's only Dumbledore and Quirrell are the only ones that know. Oh, and I guess Draco. Oh, no, he never actually said straight up to Draco that he did. Right. And Draco never got to see his Patronus. He just got to see yeah. the the light of it. Yeah. And I guess it's, you know, Draco wouldn't 
you know, there's there would be no reason to conclude from the fact that his Patronus looks like a person that therefore can destroy yeah. Dementors, but yeah. it just look, you know, he wants to keep anything weird about it to himself. Yeah. Um, and I like, yeah, and towards the end of this, we get to see, like, Harry scares a Dementor, but I still really, I was just like, it would have been such a powerful, awesome scene of just to, uh, Harry just, like, turn on the Dementors to ash in front of the most powerful people in magical Britain, but she's just like, don't fuck with me. Yeah, but, that would have been tight. Yeah. I, I liked, I mean, his his shouting boo at it. Yeah. I think it was, a, it was like half of the way there. It was like, oh, yeah, we've got to hold it back. Cause it, well, I'm sure, like, we're going to have a payoff for this eventually. We're like, oh, I'll tease you a little bit. I mean, it, it was just so cool. Like, yeah. it's one of those memorable scenes in the book for me because, you know, everybody else sees this as this, you know, fearless, soul-eating, unkillable monster. Mm. And this little boy runs, you know, walks up to it shouts at it and it goes fleeing back to the far wall yeah, no even better doesn't then, doesn't shout it he just goes boo right yeah he <laughs> says boo you know but um you know and it, it, you know what we'll, we'll have to i still can't put my head on it exactly why harry can't hear the dementors um uh, maybe it's because partly it has something to do with the fact that he understands them on their true nature or something but so he doesn't hear it but apparently when the dementor oh, literally yeah, flees as away, far from yeah. harry as it can in the room yeah. It says, make him go yeah, away. <laughs> and how, how chilling that must be. That's got to get him at least 75% of the way there to just, mm-hmm. you know, blowing it up in front of everybody in the room. Yep, yep. Yeah, no, they, like, scaring is sort of like the implication, because it's so much more like not the bluff. Of like, no, you just literally saw me waste the thing. Don't fuck right. with me. Like, I'm not, I'm not playing, yo. <laughs> that would have been, that would have so, been cool. Yeah. No, yeah. no denying that. Um, so what do we, so Lucius says like, why do you care so much about this person? He's like, cause she's my friend, which is an awesome line. Um, but then, yeah. So like Lucius, like, cause not having expected, having tossed out the hundred thousand galleon number as basically infinity plus one, uh, he's caught off guard that Harry's willing to do it. Um, so he's like, oh, well fuck, never mind. Um, and like, no, I withdraw it. Um, right. As so much for the dishonor, may my ancestors forgive me. Yeah, I know. I love it. it was like another good call of like just the sort of like that entitled rich person thing of like, I am merely required to pay lip service to any sort of social niceties around morality and the bullshit around any things I may or may not have done. So, okay, I've said the literal words now. Please fuck off. But, yeah. But I did think it was sort of, uh, it was another sort of cool thing like how, like, it didn't, it didn't occur to Lucius that Harry might accept. And so it was a kind of another sort of like, you know, display of this is sort of like the complete lack of empathy that death eaters have, like they, and the sort of underestimation of how normal people work, um, that he, that he didn't even like, he tossed, he's like, oh, okay, well, I mean, he, he might pay 20,000, but clearly he wouldn't pay a hundred thousand. Cause that's more than he probably even has. Says that it also made me wonder like, how much? How much does Malfoy? Th- you know, how much is Malfoy? W- is he worth? Because when he tosses out the number hundred thousand, is he thinking of that? Is like, okay, that's like half a Malfoy. Is that a tenth of a Malfoy? Like, yeah, it's not clear. You yeah. get the impression that they're crazy fucking rich. Crazy, anyway. yeah, yeah, like yeah, especially like they're among the richest is kind of the idea I get, and especially because how quickly he wants to turn it down, I mean, it gives me you know, the idea that maybe you know he's in the gajillions of galleons right Eight whatever million. it is this would not be a life-changing amount of money Eight for him gigagallion and the other um oh shit i had something for this uh oh yeah like i mean lucius it's weird because like lucius has concern and love and empathy like he seems to really care about draco yeah 
you know, part of this seems to be because this mud blood filth dare touch my son, but it's I, that makes his concern like not about him person. This wasn't an affront to him. This is an affront to his dearly beloved son. And like while this wouldn't have worked, I you know I'm curious you know what his reply would have been. It's like who is this person to you? It's like she is essentially to me what Draco is to you, Lucius. Yeah. Like yes, she's not my son. Don't be pedantic, but. She's, you know, I care about her the same way you care about your son. You know, caring, right, Lucius? You have that one thing in your fucking life you care mm-hmm. about. This is, you know, this is that for me. Um, it, it, I, yeah, I, get... I would think because, like, because that whole that was a really cool scene uh, with Malfoy and Harry in the in nine and three quarters. That I would, th- I would, I would picture that for Malfoy as being the like that is the last surviving piece of humanity that I have. And not something that I'm going to put on display in a courtroom at the Wizen Gamut. So, and and also like because it's like the only thing left. He's it's all lost in a whole you know nasty soup of vengeance and shitty, selfish, evil motivations. That probably at this point he's he is totally just in sort of like vengeance, you know, exhibition of power mode. Um, that may have been started by kind of a sincere, you know desire to defend his own kid but that he's like probably out of that but then also like if you tried to call him on that he would like squirrel it away into some kind of super protective you know bullshit arena uh because that because that's the only like he's not that that would be kind of an admission of a level of weakness that he's not going to kind of let be let loose in a politically sensitive area and then he might even be like then more motivated to try to like lie about it that's similar to a uh, there's a in some circles there's a term for something quite similar to what you're describing there called a Mott and Bailey, which uh, is basically yeah where you you've got like your real reason for doing something, and then you've got your pretended reasons that you say you're doing them for, and then when someone says well hold on that or, you know and it goes beyond the scope of the actual good defensible reason, yeah. then you say well no actually it's just for this this good defensible reason you know of course I really just care about this and. Um, then you go right back to doing the nonsense thing you were doing before. Yeah. Uh, anyone who wants to can find Mott and Bailey on the internet if they look it up. So, um, what was I going to say? Oh, but so how how is it that Lucius is able to, you know, say that he's not obliged to accept the debt even though they the Wizen Gamut voted on it? Well, because that girl is no part of House Potter, and so Harry's like, okay, well, if we got married to be part of House Potter. Because he he says it might have taken him longer to realize if he hadn't recently overheard a number of conversations between old Ravenclaw girls and read a certain <laughs> number of Quibbler stories. Exactly, and I like and so then immediately like and did I did I read this right that like Harry and McGonagall are immediately on the same page without having had to say anything to each other? Did I did I catch that one right? Mostly, yeah. like he he doesn't really remember that McGonagall's there until she jumps up and says, "With me, Mister Potter." With me, was right. Yeah, like they didn't so say she, anything, but she's like running down there to do the like little magical ceremony. That they weren't. Is that was that literally? So she takes Harry down uh, to Hermione. They kind of ask her like, "Are you like together enough to be able to talk?" And then she does this little like, "Okay, touch your wands and repeat after me." The or wording touch your wands of, to her fingers. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. The wording wasn't like, okay, now you're married. Was that like a marriage or was that just a like, okay, now you are indebted to the House of Potter? Because the wording yeah, was more I, just like, okay, now you are part of the House of Potter. I'm glad you brought that up because Harry's thinking marriage. And I guess there's another way to make her part of House Potter. 
and it, it doesn't come right out and say in these two chapters, so I'm not 100% sure if it does explain later on what exactly that oath was. Mm-hmm. But there's, like, I guess there's one quick thing that I wanted to call out when McGonagall is racing down to Hermione and Harry's having trouble keeping up because at whatever 70 or however old she is, she's, like, leaping over chairs. Yeah. It says, like, she... Right, she's just, like, a cat leap. Yeah, she jumped, like, a third of the way down because yeah. she's, you know, crouching crouching old lady, hidden badass. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, so the, the, the oath... Like, if that's their marriage oath, man, Magical Britain <laughs> like surprises cold. me more and more with its fucked up attitude every day. <laughs> I, I think what that it's was pretty, was, pretty like, an oath of, like, joke. you now serve the house. Yeah. Like, like taking felt like a samurai a, into your service. Yeah, it almost felt sort of house elfish. Like, like you are now of the house of... Right. Yeah. And, like, I, maybe maybe samurai isn't quite the, the right uh, analogy. Maybe it's closer to just, like... Uh, ennobling somebody yeah. underneath your your noble house or something whatever it is i i don't think they're on paper married but she is on paper part of the house yeah. as i guess a servant uh, or as does it it says she will serve house house potter yeah. so uh, it's whatever it takes to tick the box to make it binding for the malfoy debt i swear service to the house of potter to obey its master or mistress and stand at their right hand and fight at their command and follow where they go until the day i die yeah, that doesn't sound like a marriage. And it's if it does, that's the most fucked like a, up marriage I've ever heard. She's like a knight of the Potter round table. I like that, yeah. yeah. In any case, she's not sitting at the, you know, it, service doesn't sound like you're going to sit next to me. It's you're going to, all right, now you're my uh, whatever, servant, basically. Yeah. Of course, Harry's not going to say, go get me a cup of coffee. But <laughs> <laughs> Make me a sandwich, bitch. <laughs> oh, man. I, I hope there, I like your infinite laws of fan fiction. Um, that's got to be there somewhere, but it wouldn't be that good. So, all right. I could, I could imagine a joking one that would be nice where he, where he pretendingly says, I ordered you to go get me some coffee and then winks because it's not really an order. Like she's going to go do it anyway. That'd be funny. Do get me some coffee. Yeah. All right. So I'm kidding, but seriously, I'm thirsty. So, (laughs) um, what'd you think about Harry's other so anyway, then it's it's, it's done. Uh, Dumbledore declares it ruled. He says, look, well, you guys have already voted on this. Um, Lucius cannot legally decline it now that she's part of House Potter, so this is adjourned. And then, of course, Lucius loses his fucking shit. And he says, do you think you'll get away with what you've done today? Do you think that girl can try and murder my son and escape unscathed? And then, of course, our delightful Dolores Umbridge. And I like how much agency Harry gives her. Yeah. The... Toad-like pink makeup woman, whose name Harry can no longer, no longer remember. Um, she says, why, of course not. After all, she's still a murderess, and I think the ministry should be quite integral, should be watching her affairs quite closely. It hardly seems wise that she, be allowed to wa- or that she should be allowed to wander the streets, after all. And then this is when Harry gets up and flexes on the Dementor. Mm. And before we hit that beat, his what did you think of his other idea that he had? What was, um, what was the... He was going to basically dispel the Patronus or everybody else by disenchanting oh, them of how yeah, it actually works. I, yeah, I couldn't quite follow that. So I think so, the reason that he doesn't want to run around telling people or even explain how he cast his Patronus to Dumbledore is that it the, the Patronus works in its animal form because people don't realize what a Dementor is. Mm. They shield themselves from it with this happy thought, but that's not the the true defense of it and once you realize that that's not actually how it works harry assumes though he doesn't get to test that the real dementor that the real patronus excuse me that the fake patronus whatever patronus (laughs) 1.0 
won't work for you anymore. If you realize that all you're trying to do is hide from this scary fury thing by hiding behind a happy thought. And so he, he, uh, conjectures that, um, if you were to explain to everybody briefly that, uh, the Dementors are death and the Patronus charm works by thinking about happy thoughts instead of death, that their Patronuses would stop working. And then he, his like, if then expectation that he's going to set up was before that, he was going to say, I'm going to cancel all the Patronus charms to prevent any more from being cast. And then my Dementor flying faster than any broomstick is going to kiss everyone here who voted to send a 12 year old girl to ask. Oh yeah, that's right. I don't think it's a spoiler because this is in the first chapter of, uh, I'm pretty sure it's following the Phoenix, but I'm not going to pause recording to look it up. Um, that is what Harry says instead of the whole like, uh, house Potter debt thing. Mm-hmm. And Hermione says, no, don't. And she like tells Harry back off. I'll go to Azkaban. Um, mm-hmm. that's how that one gets kicked off. Cause he doesn't have his other idea of a non-lethal solution to solving this problem. He was just going to kill 50 plus percent of the Wizengamot to, to save her. Um, I think that that would have been kind of hardcore. <laughs> yeah. That would, well, and I guess, that, I mean, that basically, like, if he had decided, that's what he would have had to do anyway just to waste that Dementor. He would have had to bust out. The, I guess he could have just not said anything as to why Mr. Glowy was a person and not a stag. Um, but that kind of would have been the cost to it anyway. Like, the whole, all the no, logic I mean, around like, that. Like, Dumbledore of, saw harry's patronus and didn't lose the ability to cast yeah, his because he, he doesn't know what's up i think you know wasting the dementor would have been a cool flex but it wouldn't have ruined patronuses for everyone in the room um it's just uh well, yeah it would have just been yeah the whole like idea of like oh just like the stating of this fact would alter everybody's ability to do anything kind of didn't it it, it hit me as plot lawyer in the first place so i didn't like when we were like kind of doing it again with this i'm like oh okay, whatever um it seems sort of like like a like given sort of an arbitrarily uh, binary outcome to it when it it seems kind of more fuzzy. Yeah, I mean it's it's also not clear to me that it would have worked that way. It's it's plausible. It's distinctly plausible. Um, like well, because also like you tell somebody works. like oh it's because of death like it seems like that's also like one of the outcomes for that is also like oh and that's how the person figures out how to cast a Patronus 2.0. Well, but they can only do that using the special fuel for the Patronus, which is, you know, the promise of humanity and the denial of death. Well, yeah, So, but uh, maybe, like, just telling them that is enough for them to do that. Well, uh, that's, that's... maybe if they had more than a few minutes to think about it, um, well, yeah, like the Dementor was going to fly of, around and kill everybody. Well, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. But, like, <laughs> kind of the logic behind, like, the whole, like, oh, we have to keep the secret is that, like, oh, if you tell anybody that's not as enlightened as you know, us rationalist people, then they're just going to become gimped and not ever able to cast a Patronus ever again, as opposed to like, oh, you know, if you just explain to them like what the deal is, then they might be able to cast the 2.0 as well. But I think it's it's partly about that, but it's it's partly, I think in large part, the feeling. Like, and you, you can convey the fact, like, oh yeah, I cast it by by thinking about the promise of the enlightenment and my denial of death. You any And, you know, read these three tips and you can kill Dementors too. Um I think it's it's less about like it, it has to do with that, but it's more about the 
the oomph using that as your happy thought. Kind of like just telling somebody you use a happy thought to cast a Patronus isn't enough to make them do it, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, it just struck me as like, like I mean, so yeah, that would probably happen sometime, but it just, it seems like we're sort of treating it as the like, oh, this is knowledge that if given to anybody will definitely cancel out their ability to cast any kind of Patronus. It seems like, you know, if, like it's like they have to be sort of equally likely if on the one hand it might keep them from being able to cast you know, 1.0, it might also just be as likely to, you know, take a regular person and get them able to start casting a 2.0. Like it just, it sort of seemed like this, it was sort of like, it, it seemed like arbitrary kind of plot device around like why we have to keep the secret. Cause the, the I don't know if I'd say that they're equally likely outcomes, well, like just cause there's they're two not doesn't impossible. They're equally likely. They're not impossible. But, but, uh, but also, we don't know that one is more likely than the other. It's just sort of I, this like out of his ass assumption that Harry made, but it sort of seemed like it was kind of necessary to where the plot is rather than like actually the real deal. Yeah. I mean, there's plot stuff too, but I think that the, the more of a woman part is that like, it's more just like, all right, here's the long standing belief you've had about this thing. Can you like really like update that belief and let it cascade through the rest of all, everything else you believe fast enough or, you know, quickly or at all um, is the challenge. Like that, that's, that's challenge. That's that's the the hard part. That's hard in real life. You know, oh, yeah. if you learn something that. But yeah, you know. so the assumption under that like whole like oh we must classify this as, as top secret is that ninety five percent of humanity is going to be incapable of making that leap because you're not one of the Uber mentioned. Or at least making it like I think, uh, certainly making it quickly. Um, well, that was, but, quickly, but I mean that wouldn't be the, yeah like you could take some, so yeah maybe the like okay let's blow up the world right then and there in the courtroom but kind of preceding this was just sort of Harry's decision with Quirrell which is suspect that he made that decision with him but that like the like oh I can't tell anybody because nobody's you know qualified to have this information that only I have like you could he could have his little his own little like Potter army of people that he you know Moadib trains one at a time to understand the this valuable information like it's not this just this like this baked in assumption that like okay everybody's just going to not be able to figure out this grand thing when the grand thing is just sort of like death is not inevitable is the grand thing like right. that's like, so I, maybe that's hard but that's not like the impossible nobody must ever know because only harry can ever know this i agree um i think that it would be hard if not impossible for albus death is the next great adventure dumbledore well, yeah to ever cast a Patronus again. So maybe that's why he didn't want to yeah. say it in front of them. And then he kind of learned the wisdom that, yeah, this is why you don't go around sharing magical secrets because you don't know what the outcomes could be. Um, the, But yes, what, the idea to decide think, to blow think, that up right then and there in the courtroom, probably not an awesome idea. Right. <laughs> so, I, yeah. I distinctly think, I think it's distinctly plausible that most people could be brought up with even just, you know, whatever, some window of time, a few weeks of, of education to be in the right mindset to cast a 2.0 if they're ever the kind of person who could cast a 1.0. Maybe most is too generous, but whatever. Some some many. Um, it's not like this is the only thing that Harry is the only one who could ever do. Yeah, it's not, like, yeah, uh, it's not the only the chosen one is capable of doing this. If Harry, if this chapter had ended with him killing half the Wizengamot, how... It'd been pretty fucking cool. I mean, cool. that's also doing whatever... <laughs> how, 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 what were you going to say? It'd been pretty fucking cool. Also kind of a little bit Nazi, but st actually, it more. It would have reminded me of that. Uh, you may have seen it because it's a Christopher Hitchens thing. Uh, Saddam Hussein having like random members of his cabinet taken out and shot. Well, yeah, all that, the uh, the dissenters. Yeah, let's say he has them like one at a time taken out and killed. That's kind of yeah. that, that would have been the vibe of like Harry like unleashing. 
Like, yeah. yeah, then you guess look around the room and be like, so who's in charge now? So in charge right? Now. Like, who's, who wants to fuck with my pet Deventer? Yeah, geez. Would you give it a name? Um, yeah, that it, it would have been really intense. Fluffy. Really killed. set up the the climate for the story going forward a little differently. <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyway, this, this chapter ends with Harry. Then instead of uh, having his Dementor kill everybody, he takes that same energy that he uses to cast the Patronus. And then he walks. He says that he stepped within a single pace, the Dementor. And then. Which is uh, already more than anybody could have done normally. Right. And so. And it also just like flexes to Lucius too, like, "Hey, remember how I was how I was afraid of these things? Watch this, little motherfucker!" Yeah. And shouts "boo" at it, flinging his arms up and using that same kind of expectation and the silvery fuel of the Patronus minus the Patronus itself. And all we see is it like retreated sharply away from Harry until it came up against the stone behind, and then there's a deathly silence. And then he turns he turns his back on the empty void. And looks up at the Toad Woman. <laughs> do we? Li- I think we literally never say her name, do we? No, the, uh, she's called Professor Umbridge. Oh, do we? Okay. Um, or at the very least, uh, Dumbledore calls her Madame Umbridge. Uh, we know yeah, it's her. Yeah, yeah we know uh, it's her. It's just, it would have been, well, I mean, yeah, we we been kind of cool if we like, intentionally textual. never name her because fuck that bitch. That would have been funny. <laughs> and he says, I make you this one offer. I never learned that you've been interfering with me or any of mine. And you never find out why the unkillable soul-eating monster is scared of me. Now sit down and shut up. <laughs> that was, that was pretty, especially because like we have such like completely blank check permission to hate Umbridge. So for Harry to like just talk shit right at her in front of everybody, he's like, "Yeah, fuck yeah, fuck yeah." And then he delivers like the same sort of speech to Malfoy and pretends like it's a riddle. And what I like that <laughs> yeah. is, he's you know what uh, what. What destroys Dark Lords, frightens Dementors, and owes you 60,000 And has two thumbs. Right. This guy. <laughs> and has two middle fingers. This guy, this bitch. Guy. He says, are you openly threatening me? I'm not threatening you. I'm scaring you. you. There's a difference. That was, cool. that was a cool scene, man. And then it basically... Uh, there was something about like the, the I don't know if it's just me, but but something about the phrase with, that he uses with Umbridge, like me and mine. There's something sort of like non-brainy about that phrasing that like kind of at least for me it like called back to kind of like these are my people, um, and it like hit the like good side of that like this is a purely emotional decision I'm making. These are me and mine, and fuck off. So, but in a good like it was sort of like calling back to that in the like. Reminding us of the, like the good side of that decision, or maybe it, it just sounded like Firefly. It sounded like something that Mel Reynolds would have said. So, all right, I will watch Firefly. I swear. Have you never watched Firefly? Somehow, no. Fucking fascist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't been called a Nazi yet this month, so that's nice. <laughs> well, it's not over. There's time. No, well, I think that, that counts. All right. I, I'll put it. It's on my. It's on my short list now. It's been been bumped up there so I can lose my uh, my Nazi status. Yeah, I think my uh, week was kind of ruined by it. Like floating around on the internet is some picture of Nathan Fillion with like some sort of like Chicago Bears mustache. It's really depressing and sad. Yeah, haven't yeah, seen it. You can skip it. Well, I'll skip the picture. I'll yeah. watch the show. It's good. It's good. Um, it's a good show. So then, yeah, they basically, Dumbledore comes down and says, we're going to, you know, take her to Madame Pomfrey. She'll be fine. And then it kind of does this, you know, like the same thing, the same way we enter the Wizard Gum out, we, we leave it in this, like, you know, fourth person bird's eye view perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a, a meditation on what was going on in the minds of everyone watching this go down. 
and uh, I still really like the just the descriptions of the Wizen Gamut is this kind of like older than old place like older than everybody there and kind of giving some sort of like Greek Athenium vibe of like this is you know people have been here for thousands of years thing it's cool yeah totally and it oh there's also another fun thing in here um so like there i'll I'll read this this paragraph because i got to pull out this one sentence um i mean the it it opens by saying that you know as they're leaving that some of them are looking nervous majority are thinking man the dementor was frightened of the boy who lived and some of the shrewd ones are noticing that a a new player has appeared on the game board and almost none are thinking along the lines of i wonder how he did that and this isn't like because they're stupid it's because like they're just not like they haven't trained themselves to apply their shrewdness to every aspect of their life. They, they, they see something weird like that and they live in a world where you can, whatever, make a cup of water whenever the fuck you want. Right. Like you, you, when you think, I wonder how he did that or rather when you're primed to ask that sort of question, uh, it maybe you're less primed in a, in a world where like a lot of things are like, you know, the answer is just magic. Um, like it's, it's clear that it wasn't magic involved here, but it might, you know, the fact again, that just, the answer to so many questions is it's magic. Literally it's magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that makes you just less inclined to apply that sort of, I don't know, general question thinking to lots of things, but there's this paragraph I have to read. So it says, this is the truth of the wisdom gamut. Many are nobles. Many are wealthy magnates of business. A few came of their status or came by their status in other ways. Some of them are stupid. Most are shrewd in the well, in the realms of business and politics, but their shrewdness is circumscribed. Almost none have walked the path of a powerful wizard. They have not read the ancient. They have not read through ancient books, scrutinized old scrolls, searching for truths too powerful to walk openly and disguised in conundrums, hunting for true magic among a hundred fan- fantastic fairy tales. When they are not looking at a contact contract of debt, they abandon what shrewdness they possess and relax with some comfortable nonsense. They believe in the Deathly Hallows, but they also believe that Merlin fought the, de- the dread Totoro and imprisoned the Ree. I ate at a sushi roll. We got takeout from a place called Sushi Totoro today. I, I imagine that was some and kind of call out to some some reference I wasn't getting. You've never seen My Neighbor Totoro? I actually have not. No, I've seen oh, I've you, seen snippets of it. It's a it's a it Studio Ghibli like film. Yeah, and Totoro is this delightful. Uh, you've definitely seen Totoro the the, the picture. If I yeah, I've, I've I've even seen like small parts of the movie, but I haven't seen. Yeah, he, he's just a you know big lovable. I would say bear-like creature, but he's not. You know, he's the cartoon sphere. He looks like a Pokemon. Mm. He looks like Snorlax, basically. And he's just a, you know, a helpful little spirit thing. He's adorable. And a threatening and so monster. Well, that's what that's what makes this line really funny. <laughs> they, they believe that Merlin fought the dread Totoro. I don't know what the re is. Um, but I, I like to call out to Totoro because that's just hilarious. Um, so the, they... They know, because that too is part of the standard legend, that a powerful wizard must learn to distinguish the truth among a hundred plausible lies, but it does not occur to them that they might do the same. And then, you know, this next paragraph, I don't know if you feel like reading it or if we can just summarize it, but um, basically, like, you know, the headmaster would, you know, not even see the question of, like, why aren't all these people, like, powerful, badass heroes? And Dumbledore would say, well, like, no, they're, most people shouldn't be heroes. And the defense professor would, could, could explain at great and cynical length why their ambitions are so trivial. To him, there is no puzzle. Only Harry Potter, for all the books he has read, is unable to understand. To the boy who lived, the life choices of the lords and ladies seem incomprehensible. Not what a good person would do, nor yet an evil person either. Now which of the three is most wise? 
Yeah, I've actually forgotten because, and I had said on our notes that like this, this last little bit played to me as kind of obnoxious. Um, but that, like, but it was also sort of kind of mixed in there was this kind of idea also that you know everybody thinking that life is a story and will just sort of not question things that feel like they play along with the story. But I thought, like, as you read that again, I, I, that it did talk about, like, what Quirrell's impression of the whole same situation would be. And that was sort of my uh, my impression of having readers. Like, oh, this is a very Quirrell way of looking at the world. Like, you know, most of the Wizen Gamut doesn't, doesn't question any of this stuff going on because they're stupid in exactly the way Quirrell would lazily call mortals stupid. Um, and that it's sort of a very kind of cynical and elitist way of looking at the world and sort of like it's kind of a kind of very simple explanation for like why does the world why does the world work work this way because people are dumb is like not a very hard trip to make (laughs) well i think that's why it finds itself in this nice fourth answer which is that it's not that they're you know dumb or that they shouldn't be heroes or whatever it's just that they they haven't applied their shrewdness to all those avenues in their lives See, that um, just seems like throwing a lot of syllables at the same thing. Like, well, like that's the not, same. I mean, not you're calling it that. I mean, you're, there's, a, there's a judgment in saying that. That's not a like, uh, oh, here's this understandable thing that most people, including possibly me, do. That's like, oh, people not as enlightened as you and I act this way. Well, that's and that was sort of the vibe. This is like, oh, look at what like unenlightened people do. That was the way I it mean, came off to me. Yes and no. I think part of it is that some of them are unenlightened, right? Like, they got here because, well, my mom was on the Wizen Gamut, so I'm on the Wizen Gamut, too. Um, like, it's, I think that's part of how this works out, that it just, you know, the nobles get these seats. Um, I don't know if you get elected to these seats or not. Um, but it's Feels, like, so, yeah, so by, that, that would just be by default. So, sure. like, I mean, you know, you can kind of ask yourself, like, this of the Assembly of Congress. Like, why aren't they all geniuses? Why aren't they all, you know, scientists? Well, it doesn't serve them to be those things. They have other interests that they're there to, endo- that they're there to enforce, right? It's yeah, I mean, just this, because did, they're all Did stupid. this feel like it was a... Because to me, like, this read as a... Like, you don't look up to these... This description is not of people that you're like, oh, okay, these are the people that, are, you know, running the show and they possibly got some faults, but that's the way it is. It was sort of like... Oh, uh, yeah, things are all fucked up because these guys are ignorant. That's kind of the vibe that it came off to me, at least. I mean, that's the kind of vibe you get looking at the, you know, the Assembly of Congress. Well, sure. But, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't go around telling everybody that, uh, gosh, I wish, I wish everybody in Congress was as smart as me. Well, and again, so this isn't from Harry's point of view. So we don't get the, the we don't get your magic hammer of saying this is Harry being an asshole. Uh, <laughs> no, this is merely the author. Um, yeah, this, I mean, it was just, and it wasn't like even a, like a major, this wasn't like critical to the, you know, anything that happened in these few chapters. They're just like, oh, okay, we're going to do this again. All right. Well, I, I tried to lay out the, the nuance there, but if it, you know, it doesn't mind everybody. Um, I, I did like how, so this is where we learn what happens after he, after the boy lives, scares the Dementor. Um, a, it, the chapter ends with, uh, it says that there are a certain few of the wisdom gummet who have read through half disintegrated scrolls and listened to tales of things that happened to someone's brother's cousin, not for entertainment, but part as a part of the quest for power and truth. They might have already marked the night of Godric's Hollow as reported by Albus Dumbledore as an anomalous and potentially important event. They wondered why it happened, if it did happen, or if not, why Dumbledore is lying. And when an eleven-year-old boy rises up and says Lucius Malfoy in that cold adult voice, um, I'm reading the whole thing, but I'm so close to done then touch it <laughs> and goes on to speak words simply one simply would not expect to hear from a first year in hogwarts 
They do not allow the facts to slip into the lawless blurs of legends and premises of plays. They mark it as a clue. They add it to the list. This list is beginning to look somewhat alarming. It does not particularly help when a boy when the boy yells boo at a dementor, and the decaying corpse presses itself flat against the opposite wall, and its horrible ear hurting voice rasps, Make him go away. <laughs> and that's the end of chapter eighty three. Yeah. All right, only three yeah. more to go. Oh wait. No, that was the end of <laughs> chapter eighty one. Oh right, yeah, sorry, that was eighty one. We gotta go through eighty three. Okay, an hour and a half on both all both these next chapters yeah, too. Yeah. We'll be done. only three more hours to go, people. All right. Luckily, yeah. these uh, these next two are short, fast. but also, this second also one has a lot to, to, to unpack here, yeah. which I like a lot. So, so uh, this next one, so they they free Hermione. That's how the how the chapter ends, um, and then so eighty two opens with we've uh, as I said, Banffed. Uh, we've teleported. We've Phoenix uh, teleported. Uh, from the Wizen Gamut into Madame Pomfrey's room. Uh, and then what I thought was like just sort of another cool, like casual description of, you know, Dumbledore just randomly carrying people like they only weigh two pounds. Because, you know, you think his robes are enchanted with like strength plus 10? No, he's just, no, he's got the, you know, crazy ass wizard strengthy thing. He's just, just built the, like the rock underneath those robes. Yeah. No, no, no. So, no, the wizard way of doing it is like, he, no, he is totally like feeble and frail and can lift a truck. <laughs> like that's the, the it wouldn't be to have him like be all buff under there would be very wizardy. Wizardy is to be both frail and super powered. That's true. No one no one raises an eyebrow when Dumbledore or Dumbledore when Gandalf you know swings his sword hard enough to hurt a Balrog, right? Yeah, exactly. He can do it because he's a thousand years old and he can swing like a motherfucker. Mm. <laughs> so th- yeah. then they go back to Dumbledore's office while Hermione recuperates. Yeah, and then yeah, and so then we have this sort of like throwdown between. <laughs> between Harry and Dumbledore. And this is what I was talking about before, where it feels like this kind of really interesting swap between Harry and Dumbledore. But so Harry, and we and we got this same, Harry, uh, what he says to Dumbledore is, I can't believe a phoenix still is still upon your shoulder, that a phoenix is still upon your shoulder. Um, and we got kind of got that before in the in the Wizard Gabbard courtroom of like, because yeah, like how uh, Fox smacks Dumbledore in the face. Uh, which is sort of at least I like like we can use like Fox and Hermione are the two things in the story that we can use as like a solid reliable indicator of good and bad. Um, so the fact that Fox smacked Dumbledore in the face is like yes Harry's right here you're fucking like get on the same page. Um, but but so, so so Harry's like I cannot believe that a phoenix is still upon your shoulder and uh, Dumbledore's response is phoenixes are not arrogant they know the limits of their own wisdom. Unlike you, Harry, um, which I thought it was so like, and again, I think another one of these, like they are both right um, conversations between Dumbledore and Harry, but I thought it was kind of, I don't know, did this, does this, did this seem to you as like the, um, like they are taking different, sort of, like motivationally the same position, but that, that they have swapped positions on, on how, on how they're arguing because Dumbledore is kind of more in the like, oh no, we have to be logical about things. Yeah, I mean, almost. It's like, uh, it's it's certainly like Dumbledore. We get this revelation here in a minute from why Dumbledore is, uh, why he was willing to sacrifice Hermione Granger. Um, I also like how he just, you know, he's not even pretending to be, you know, he's not doing the the nice talk of like. Well, you know, Harry, let me try and patiently explain to you. He says, "Yeah, phoenixes aren't arrogant, unlike you, <laughs> dipshit." And Fucker. he's 
yeah, he's, he's, he's not pulling his punches and, um, his, like his, uh, I mean, it, it's from, from one point of view, like, again, we talked about, or I, I think I tried to explain anyway, where like, you know, Harry is, is being irrational in the sense that he's not willing to make the trade off. And I don't think that makes him like a, a bad rationalist. And maybe I'm saying that cause I'm biased cause I'd make the same sacrifice for my loved ones. Um, but it, it makes him, un, you know, he's, he's not being economical about it. He's not being of, of sound Spock mind. There is the trope of the, like the straw rational or the straw Vulcan, which is what people imagine when they, when, which is what many people sometimes imagine when they consider like what a rationalist is. Um, they picture someone like Spock. And so, uh, the, the goal isn't to be like Spock, um, I will just direct people to uh, Julia Galef's wonderful talk on the Straw Vulcan. It's short, and there, I'm sure she mentions it in she does mention it in brief and does in written things. If you prefer that as well, just Google Julia Galef Straw Vulcan to get the breakdown. It's a lot of fun, and she's awesome. Um, the uh, like so Dumbledore's motivation here is like driven by. I mean, I don't want to use the word the authority of life experience, but by the wisdom of life experience, maybe. Um, by having updated his priors repeatedly? Yeah, one might say. Do I just I mean, have to, like, it, use the right buzzwords on you motherfuckers? Oh, sorry. <laughs> now, let's all play nice. Um, his, uh, so his, his, his take, and like I mentioned, they're both kind of right, which is what I love about it. Yeah. That's what makes a good disagreement, like, or a good... Uh, conflict in a story fun like is it is it awesome watching you know batman beat up the joker totally but like it's it's a lot more fun um watching two people who you're like gosh well yeah and you sort of like both coming from like wherever it lands is where it lands so you and like and whatever you took away from it it's like is what then what you take away from it but at least you don't have at least for me like it's not then i'm not like playing in the back of my head like oh to what extent was this like the you know calculated trying to you know, arrive at a particular agenda. It was just sort of like, okay, here's the pluses in mind. This is, if you, you know, wind these two ideas up and run them into each other, this is where it lands. And it's just kind of, yeah, totally. So, yeah, I do like this. between. And so we, we get the, the revelation, like, well, so what happens is Harry, like, starts just whipping out complete bullshit in the face of Dumbledore's questions. He's like, uh, you know, look, I can't choose between one, you mean, choose between one good and another, like Hermione Granger's life versus money. You know, and he's, he's, you know, being indignant and rude. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to use the word rude because he goes on to say, like, uh, well, well, he goes on to, first of all, flat out lie about his motivations and like what he was struggling yeah. with. Dumbledore points out, he's like, I saw the look of reluctance when, uh, you know, Lucius mentioned the money. And he's like, I was just looking for alternatives, you know, somewhere that didn't, mm-hmm. you know, lose the money. And then his inner Ravenclaw says, wow, you just told an outright lie. <laughs> just Not only that, but I think you actually believed it for the seconds it took to say it. That's kind of scary. <laughs> and he says, is that what you were thinking, Harry? And Harry doubles down. He says, yeah. And, well, he, he rather, he doesn't double down. He, uh, he, like, I don't know. He, he doesn't dodge. He, he, what's the word? Capitulates? He says, fine, yes, I flinched away from the pain of losing all the money in my vault, but I did it. That's what counts. And you, you put a price on her head. And then he goes on to talk about replacement value and saying that there's no replacement for Hermione. And Yeah, what is it, even, where can I buy another best friend, I think? Exactly. That's an interesting way you put it, yeah. And, well, not, not a best friend, just another Hermione oh, yeah, in general. Hermione, yeah. 
yeah, I think, you know, Harry would make the strong case that Hermione is, you know, as the pure force of good in the universe, she has value beyond being Harry's friend. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, granted, I don't know if you spend $100,000 to save any other randomly nice Hermione good person, but, uh, you know, this one he also happens to be friends with. But even in his own head, he's like, you're, you're, you're making arguments that you know you don't believe. Um, his inner Slytherin. Uh, now you're just talking mathematical nonsense. Ravenclaw, back me up here. <laughs> um, so, I mean, like, he, he, know, he, this is him just employing his vocabulary to, like, win an argument. Yeah. Um, it, he almost get, he gets so close to just saying, look, yes, I couldn't let her die, and I was going to do whatever it took to save her. Did I make the sensible choice? No, but I did the right thing. If he had said that, that would have been awesome. Um, instead, he's turning this into this big, nasty fight where then he says, well, Dumbledore points out that, you know, you may have lost your war today. Um, there can only be one king on a chessboard. And Hermione Granger is not that piece. And then he, then he says what I said a second ago. Harry Potter, this, this day may have lost you your war. And then Harry, because that sentence, I think, hit Harry exactly where he knew yeah. was true. Instead of saying, you're right, I may have fucked up, but at least Hermione is safe. He says, Lucius was, wi- was right. You never had a wife. You never had a daughter. You never had anything but war. And I realize I'm caveating, a, well, not caveating, because I'm quoting from the book. What I wanted to do was get straight to the point where Dumbledore drags into the Phoenix's price room and walks up to a pedestal. And uh, he says, hey, stick your head in here and you know, tell me I'm full of shit after this. And, yeah, and, Harry, that's a, where, and then Harry gets to see Dumbledore having to face his own decision around sacrificing his own brother, uh, or rather not, not paying the ransom to get his brother, choosing to not pay the ransom to get his brother because, uh, and Moody is, is talking him through, like, you know, if you pay them off once, they're just going to come back here every single time. So this only ends once they see that you're not willing to pay. Um, and what are they, they could just pick up Aberforth the next day, yeah, right? yeah. Like so, and this this is the 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 strictly sensical position that the United States uh, has with we don't negotiate with terrorists, yeah. right? And I I think that it's uh, it's basically right and proper for a I don't know a system maybe to have that rule. Um, then of course the the subjects within the system could do whatever they want. Um, you know, like I would pay a ransom for my wife's life. But it makes sense that I couldn't go to the police and say, can I have $100,000 or, or they're going to cut her head off? Um, they might help me by, you know, setting up a stage or whatever. They're not literally going to pay the ransom, right? Yeah. Uh, the dream police, not the ones that we get. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, this more works. Like, so, like, so Harry's little sort of lashing out. Lucius was right. You never had a wife. You never had a daughter. Like that played as like very sort of that, like that was a malicious thing he said. Um, so he clearly wasn't like, you know, being like Mr. Rationalist mode. Um, and so this worked as a way for Dumbledore to, you know, very bluntly, like without without needing any complicated explanations showing like, no, dude, I have paid this price. You can't call me out on that bullshit. So fuck you. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, but so so it worked well as the because this, I think, is another one of those like neither. um they're, I want to say like neither of them is right. No, they're both right. Like Dumbledore, you know, Harry getting in Dumbledore's face and saying like, oh, you should have done this, this thing is, you know, Dumbledore doesn't have to be like, oh, you're right. I did, didn't do the right thing. But Harry is also right in that the like, 
in the totally not at all kind of logically defensible position of, no, you just don't let this happen to your friends and it doesn't matter what it costs. Um, and that we sort of got to see the, like the, the, the validity of both of those sides in spite of like only one of them being logically defensible. Like, cause Dumbledore is clearly on the logically defensible side of the argument. Um, but we sort of get to see, and, and the way, like, and, but the way it's defended is, is clearly like, oh, and this is terrible. Like, this is, oh, my brother got killed. Terrible. Um, but, so we got to see both, like, the, but, and on the other side of that, this sort of, like, very kind of human, sympathetic side of, of Harry just going, like, oh, no, but you, you look out for your friends, me and mine. Um, yeah, I wish I had thought to organize my thoughts on this better, because, like, it's, I, I think Harry's position is logically defensible from the fact that, like, basically, um, it would distill down to, I can't make the choice that you did, Dumbledore. I, I can't live with that decision. And you you can. And not not, that, not because you're a bad person. It says that, it, you know, it broke you. Um, you know, the, the Dark it, Lord set, set all this up to just fuck with you on purpose, right? Like, this is... Uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of like... Uh, I like the Joker and Voldemort comparison. Um, you know, in the the Dark Knight movie, you know, he he captures Harvey Dent, the spirit of the people, the one who's going to set Gotham on the right course, which is smaller stakes than blowing up the country. <laughs> um, this is this is one city versus the woman he loves, and uh, Batman just immediately says, "Nope, going for the girl I love. Fuck you." And what I love is, you know, just on the brilliance of the Joker's decision to lie about the addresses. You know, Batman loses either way. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, he's not going to get what he tried to save, no matter which choice he makes, which is just brilliant villainy. Villain, villainy? Vill- villainy, sure. Yeah. Um, but in any case, uh, like, uh, yeah, as far as logically defensible. Um, well, I guess you're sort of equating know. logically defensible with right. <laughs> which is like yes. nothing no i mean so no very so i mean what, like, no, I, I what you're saying like the right way to go but like but can't the way to justify it is not through some sort of mathematical you know calculation of you know the the benefits and the risk like it's 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 only right you know taking with like grand assumptions of unverifiable things of value. Like it's, it, it only works when you say like, Oh, you just don't abandon like, and that's what like Harry's words are. Love doesn't walk away. Like you can't, that's not a quantifiable anything about it. And so, and not in any meaningful way in any specific situation, like you can't evaluate that in any kind of dispassionate way about its validity, but it's just a thing. So it's like, and there's those situations where like, that is the right way to go, but you, you just can't make a, you know, a straw Spock, you know? Uh, and I think like, that's when you say like straw Spock, like the straw Spock would be somebody that like, can't, that is not okay with it ever being something that's not, you know, explicitly and specifically defensible in a, in a very, you know, minute detail kind of way. Like, and I, and I think, and that's what I sort of liked about this was it seemed like it was a sort of a, an acknowledgement that like, sometimes this doesn't apply. Like, this is very definitely valid and sometimes not. And here are the times. And I think also, but then when that happened, like he put, you know, he put Dumbledore and Harry up against each other to show that it wasn't like, oh, it wasn't like one of these bowled over the other one. Both of these were valid at the same time. Harry made a 
purely emotional decision, if you want, like, and I was kind of like interchanging emotional and illogical or irrational, like irrational, not in the sense of bad at all, but just like Harry's decision was not made for logically justified reasons, justified reasons, which is not justified through logic or through any kind of specific knowledge of the situation he was in. It was just sort of, he like, he just fell back to these kind of like baseline truths of you just don't bail on your friends. Um, and I think, but I, and I think like the flip side, these sort of like, you know, the rationalist like defense of that would be, I think if, and, and rightly, if Harry had real information to go on that said, no, wait, this other thing would be better than he would have, but he, but he didn't. And so then you have to kind of fall back to, well, fuck, I don't know what I'm going to do. So, so, you know, what do I do in complete absence of, of knowing what the right thing to do is? I'll just, you know, act like good people act. Yeah. Having algorithms for how to like make decisions under uns- in uncertain circumstances is uh, kind of nece- necessary to yeah. operate functionally, right? Yeah. And Harry's algorithm led him to say, don't bail on your friends. And Dumbledore's apparently up to this point did as well. And like this, the scene, the whole flashback scene is moving as fuck. Um, you know, yeah. you see the big and mighty Dumbledore um, just... Like begging, pleading with Al- yeah. yeah, begging with Alistair, who is the sense of reason, and it and Al, you know, Moody's not a a Vulcan either. He's not going to say, "Come on, it's one, it's two lives versus one. This is easy. You should know this." Yeah, and no, Moody's uh, more just like kind of like hard knocks vibe to it. He's just like, "I fuck, suck it up." This is the price. Yeah, of poker. That's, that, that's what he's saying. He's like, "This fucking sucks, but this is what you got to do." Yeah. Like we lose if you ransom Alderforth, we lose the war. It's that simple. And uh, Dumbledore is just begging. He's like, you know, for money. You know, come on. And uh, then, of course, Dumbledore says, if I do this, I'll have no one, no one. And then that's when he, like, breaks down and is sobbing on his desk like yeah. a child. And Alistair says, shall I tell Valdi's messenger no? You don't have to do it yourself, old friend. He says, no, I- I'll say it myself. I must. And this, and I like I like the the way that you're putting it. And I think it's exactly right. Like, it's, you know, one is the the more, like, hey, we got a long-term plan. These are the things you need to do to actualize it. And that is the path that Dumbledore and Moody are now on, that Dumbledore was talked over to in this scene. And then you've got the one of like, I can't ditch my friends, which is Harry's right now. And they're both completely like sympathizable and like they're they're both doing the right thing. Um, It it would have been disgusting. We would all hate Harry. I mean, I, (laughs) I, I can scarcely imagine you know, liking this protagonist at all. If he sat there and was like, mm, that's a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Hermione. I'll try and find another good best friend. I just friend. figured out that, you know, I could save five orphans right. with the same amount of money. So that's what I did instead. Sorry, Hermione. Yeah, so he, he does the, the only th- sane thing one can do, which is say, fuck you. I'll, of course, I'll do whatever it takes. Yep. And Dumbledore points out, like, actually, you think you're being all smart and shit because Harry is, is trying to, he's, he's not admitting that he did this for... Uh, the very understandable and human reasons of love. He did it because, so Harry's trying to say, no, I did it because Hermione's replacement value is infinite, etc. And so he shows him, he's like, yeah, my brother's replacement value is infinite too, you motherfucker. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think I like that. That's what, like, neither of them are wrong in this situation because, like, because Dumbledore's behavior and, like, and the decisions Dumbledore was trying to steer it to are like, yes, that, like, that person's also infinitely valuable. And I've got multiple infinite values, like, competing against each other. And, and so we land in these fucked up, uncomfortable, you know, gray areas in between. Um, 
So yeah, yeah, I liked how this like played out. Like we, we could see the value of, of both their sides to this. But. Yeah, and I think I think Harry totally can too. In fact, he does later. He's just not willing yeah. to concede right now in front of Dumbledore. What he says now instead is he moves the subjects to Narcissa Malfoy. Um, yeah. There's also the the heartbreaking beat that we didn't touch, which was that Dumbledore asks him, "Do you also wish to see my brother as he died under the Cruciatus?" Yeah. Voldemort sent me that memory as well. And, you know, Dumbledore sat and watched that shit. Yeah, and, and, it's, a, and it's a super, like, powerful, like, it's, like, it's a really solid rebuttal where you can just be like, you know, here's my life experience. Here's a thing that actually happened and it fucking sucked. Right. And so, like, now what's going to happen to you, Harry? You've, you've proven that Hermione is the most valuable thing in the world to you. If someone else kidnaps her, you don't have enough, you don't, or whatever, kidnaps her, tries to throw her in jail, whatever, you don't have another 100,000 galleons to ransom yeah. or to pay a ransom off. Like, the... You have you have shown that you will buckle to this sort of pressure, and you can't win like that. I learned that the hardest way possible, and uh, Dumbledore won't, or rather Harry won't engage in that argument right now. He he moves to Narcissa, and um, he says, uh, "Yeah." And Dumbledore gives us a, like the very political answer, or the, his answer is very much about the politics of the thing, or at least like what the impression of him having murdered. Narcissa does for the entire cause, like you know, basically they have all backed the fuck off because I they think I can be this cold blooded, crazy person. Yeah, it's uh, well, and this is actually rather, I don't know really what to. I feel like there's the the beginnings of a thought that I should have finished before starting the episode, but like, uh, Harry says that uh, I'm surprised that uh, like that this didn't just return, result in an escalation of violence. Uh, why did the Death Eaters just start kidnapping more family members and start fucking with them? And, uh, I mean, there's the explanation is that apparently Voldemort was just stoked to have Dumbledore break under the pressure and said, hey, look, he finally grew up. Um, yeah. And so uh, it's... Actually, that sort of reminds, that reminds me of what I was thinking about, like Harry escalating against the bullies. Like, well, why wouldn't they just escalate back? That's kind of was, was my thought. I mean, I, so I think I think Harry's totally right to be thinking the same thing. But, I mean, it's sort of always been a question mark as, like, did this really happen or is this just, like, lore? Um, and Dumbledore's kind of not, he's not, he's neither neither confirmed nor denied. Because uh, <laughs> he talks about the, he talks about the effect of the perception of it. But he doesn't ever really say, and that's why I did it. He's not because he doesn't say like, oh, I set I set I set that bitch on fire to teach Lucius a lesson. He doesn't say that, um, right? But so it's, it's like this. Yeah, he, mark. he like you said, he mentions specifically like the politics around it. Yeah. Like, why did it have to be burn her alive in her bedroom and not just like you know shoot her in the face? Yeah. Well, because they needed to know that she suffered, and nothing else would have convinced them. Um, yeah, and he sort of like, uh, ties that together with like that's sort of. That comes from the same place where, like, okay, I, first I let them know that they can kill my brother, but they won't. But I won't pay a ransom to do it. And then they get to know that, and I will set their shit. Up, you know, then I will burn his wife alive. Um, so don't fuck with me. Like, so he kind of ties those together around, right. like, and then around like what the perception of that would be. Although you know, now that we're saying, that, I'm like, is that like is that a winning strategy? Because because yeah, what Harry says, is like, well, why wouldn't they just escalate back? And he kind of talks about like. Oh well, because Voldemort would say, "Ha ha!" Now he he thinks evil like us, but uh, but yeah, I would think like they kind of would escalate back. I would think. 
I suppose if you're following orders of a mad lunatic who says, "Hey, I did it! I broke the Batman," you know, <laughs> yeah. we don't we don't have to keep escalating. So. We've already we've already shattered this person. Like again, my, I I'm I'm liking my mental model, my mental mapping, my one to one mapping of Voldemort to Joker. Joker really I mean, it's, well. it's, it's not the worst. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it's like, you know, Joker wouldn't keep us. Well, and it's like, that's, yeah, that's, that, sort of like that's a, not what that's like not his goal. Psychotic like, nihilism, because like what it really is. I, well, I guess because uh, Voldemort, well, at least, the, you know, like the OG Voldemort isn't quite as nihilist. Like Joker's kind of appeal and craziness is that there's kind of no purpose to anything he does. Uh, whereas like Voldemort's like specifically chasing or <laughs> specifically fleeing death. Um, yeah, he's the bad guy like wanting got, to live yeah. forever. But so like, yeah, Voldemort's got a... A <laughs> say what you will about the tenets of the Death Eaters, at least it's a credo. Um, like, yeah, so, but he's got like a, you know, he's got an understandable motivation behind what he does. Um, which wouldn't just, yeah. that sort of like, aha, now Dumbledore, you know, is acting crazy like us, doesn't, that quite doesn't quite work because uh, it's not like, you know, it's some sort of, you know, stance that he was trying to talk Dumbledore into taking. So that statement is just sort of like, ah, now I've driven the motherfucker insane. You know? Yeah, I maybe we'll never maybe we will or won't get a good resolution to what was going on there. You know, if the if the Death Eaters are following orders and they grabbed uh, Aberforth, not of like their own independent yeah. action, but because Voldemort told them to, which makes it, it sounds like it was the case. Yeah. You know, Voldemort sent an emissary saying, hey, look, we got your brother. Um, I, uh. I, 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 my my mind keeps going back to this this next line that Dumbledore gives, which is, uh, after the day I condemned my brother to his death, I began to weigh those who followed me, balancing them mm. one against another, asking who I would risk and who I would sacrifice, to what end. It was strange how many fewer pieces I lost once I knew what they were worth. I know that was a, that was hardcore because it's like because uh, it's just sort of like you could sort of feel like the like the realism to it, and also kind of how like how fucked up and cold that is. Right, and like you, and but you can't discount either. Yeah, it's yeah. it's intense. Um, yeah, that was a good line. And then Harry just kind of pushes back and says, "You know, look, I mean, she wasn't being exactly ransomed. It was a little more nuanced than that. So leaving that aside, like, how much should I have paid to save her?" Yeah. And Dumbledore doesn't answer. And like the, the this is where um, I well. You can take the reins, or I'll just keep basically reading the chapter. It's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't. So, I mean, it just sort of goes. I mean, that's kind of, I mean, as far as like reading the chapter, like that's kind of it. As far as like they just. Um, so once for this exchange, anyway. They, yeah, for this exchange. I mean, they talk about the one, and then it just sort of moves to kind of Harry's kind of internal monologue about everything, and a lot of, and then Harry thinking a lot about. Um, he sort of plays plays in his head is what he keeps going back to and i think he was reminded um from like the first memories that the first that his first encounter with dementors dragged up was um uh, lily but his mother's you know thought process like the decision that his mother was making in those moments when voldemort was about to kill what he thought was about to kill harry um, and Voldemort saying, you know, you can if you just run away, I won't kill you. I'm just, I'm going to kill your kid no matter what. You can run away if you want. Um, and right. Harry thinking and he, about like, and he, we, I think he plays back a couple times, like trying to. Well, because like, the first time, what was that decision like for? I'll borrow the reins for a second because he he has these thoughts again later uh, after like the line break. But he's mm-hmm. he's saying all this to Dumbledore right now. He's saying, I remembered this when I went before the Dementor, and like my thought was 
like I've been thinking about this ever since that the Dark Lord was like right that if she had walked away then she would have lived and uh, you know granted she didn't know that Harry would live she mm-hmm. obviously believed that he would die so she didn't move um, and then he says uh, only now I understand I know what mother must have felt she couldn't step aside from the crib she couldn't love doesn't walk away yeah, that's a good line. and this is when uh, basically he I, I like that I'll just read the line it was like the old man had been. It was like the old wizard had been struck, struck by a chisel that shattered him straight down the middle. And he says, "What have I said? What What have I said to you?" I don't know. Harry shouted. I wasn't listening either. And he says, <laughs> "I I'm sorry, Harry." I he pressed his hands to his face, and Harry saw that Albus Dumbledore was weeping. I should not have said such things to you. I should not have resented your innocence. And. Yeah, I thought it was uh, like interesting way he frames it that way. Like he's, he calls it innocence, which in one way you could sort of, you could interpret that as being like, oh, you're ignorant and, you know, naive. You could interpret that as saying naive, but he's really almost just saying like, oh, that's, a, you have, you still have innocence and that's valuable. And I'm sorry, I'm trying, I'm like chipping away at it. Yeah, it's that, I, I definitely take it like, yeah, if you read it one way, it's the first way, but I take it with you in the second uh, way that it's uh, like Dumbledore isn't. Uh, saying, well, if you're only as grown up as I am, Mr. Potter, you would be there. Yeah. That's that's quarrel talk. Dumbledore's literally like just broken at the fact that like, I'm sorry, I am trying to make you grow up like this. This is, you know, yeah. it's devastating. And then I, you know, it's a bummer because Harry doesn't say, hey, headmaster Dumbledore, or, you know, if that's too authoritarian for some listeners. I can say, <laughs> he doesn't say, hey, bud, I'm, I shouldn't have said that. I'm really sorry. You know, I didn't mean to, you know, let, let's try and hash this out. Let's grab some tea and, like, have a nice conversation. And instead, he walks out and says, uh, actually, I don't think it's loud enough to for Dumbledore to hear. He leaves Dumbledore standing in that room. Mm-hmm. And then as he walks out, he passes Fox and says, I don't know why you're still on his shoulder. And then he leaves. And this is where he gets to Transfiguration early and is having that reflection again. Yeah. Um, and his, his inner monologue is pointing out that you are monstrously unfair to Dumbledore. Yeah, and I thought it was like, and he says it's it's not just an inner monologue; it's his inner Slytherin, which I thought was was pretty interesting, because um, like even from his like even from that like purely strategic part of his brain, it's like okay, that was, that just wasn't cool. Um, which sort of also like plays it up as like okay, you know, if even the Slytherin says it's unfair, then it was pretty unfair. Yeah, it's gonna be yeah. if you if you've won over Slytherin to admitting that, I'm pretty sure the rest of his the rest yeah. of him is in agreement. Yeah. And then, like, uh, then another line, he comes, uh, and I think, I don't remember if this came from a particular house in his head, but the line he said was, utilitarian ethicists didn't actually rob banks so they could give money to the poor. Um, and I, that sort of like jived with my kind of whole impression of these chapters of kind of acknowledging, like, like so my, kind of my big takeaway with all this was like, um, like, what do you do in the face of like almost absolute uncertainty? Uh, where you know you don't have hard and fast kind of you, you don't have enough information to make logical decisions and you're you're having to fall back to kind of general rules about about how you act um, and sort of like a lot of calling out kind of the the where where the kind of Venn diagram of works in works with logical uh, you know ethics and does not work and does not work like you know what do you do when you're outside of there um, and that, and I like so because that this scene between Harry and Dumbledore was like they both came out of that looking, um, that was like flattering to both of them. Like it was a on the one hand you got because you got to see there's sort of very human motivations behind both of those. On the one hand, it was like Harry 
you know, I just want to protect my friend. And on the other, like Dumbledore is, you know, very pained and like, oh my God, we've gone through so much stuff and everything I've been trying to do has been to try to protect everybody um, so that they're both coming from very sort of unambiguously good places, but just not knowing like what the right thing to do is. Yeah, it it definitely um, puts you in a in a great tough spot. And this, like I said, this is the the quintessential taboo trade off, right? Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's interesting that I'm the one more inclined to call Harry an asshole in this show. It's <laughs> like um, it's your turn. Like, because I mean, Harry again, he he's right. We we love where he's coming from, and we love him for it. We would hate him if he did the other thing, but like even as his inner Slytherin points out, like, dude, you were being such a dick. And if Harry's saying that to himself, he doesn't even need the sorting hat for this level of, of self-reflection. <laughs> um, he he could have been he could have been just as right and just as uh, as admirable without kicking an old man in the balls, right? Um, yeah, no, I mean, yeah. So, um, yeah, and I think I mean I called that like it seemed because it was kind of particular the way he like lashed out at him was particularly sort of personal and cold and cruel. Um, so I think that came up, but I don't know, at least for me, it sort of, it kind of emphasized the level of like raw emotion that Harry was feeling that he then did turn into that whole, like, cause it was a shitty thing to do, but then you'd be like, oh, cause he's so wound up about this kind of very visceral need to help his friend, uh, which is like, and that's all there is to it. There's no kind of like rational, there's no logical explanation beyond that besides I need to protect Hermione, um, and that that kind of motivated that everything else like that spins off from that, like in that sort of, you know, malicious lashing out at, at Dumbledore is just kind of a, a factor of this kind of really base level, you know, like motivation on his part. So it was sort of like, like not at all justified, but excuse, but not, not even excusable really, but like understandable, like the, the reasons behind it were at least like, for, at least for me, like I could sympathize with them if not justify them. Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. And I, don't get me wrong. I, I can, I can sympathize and, you know, even to some level, excuse. You know, your emotions get away from you. You get mad. Um, Forget that would be a better word. It's like, mainly because I love Dumbledore, and he made Dumbledore literally cry. You <laughs> made Dumbledore like, cry. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't care how right someone is. If they make my my dear Hermione cry, they're you know, fuck them in that moment, right? <laughs> um, and you know, similar with Dumbledore, he's especially too because you know he's the whatever. He's all the capital D Dumbledore badass and the the wizened old hero. And, and as, as Harry points out, um, or rather as he points out to himself, it says Dumbledore fought a war against a dark lord who deliberately set out to break him in the cruelest possible way. He had to choose between losing his war and his brother. Albus Dumbledore knows he learned in the worst possible way that there are limits to the value of one human life and almost broke his sanity to admit it. But you, Harry Potter, you already knew better. And I like this. It's yeah. he then out loud tells his inner voice to shut up. <laughs> and then this is where he talks about Philip Tetlock's experiment that I described earlier about the hospital administrator. Yeah. And more loudly he tells his inner voice to shut up. Um, and then he says, "You and you knew all of that. Um, <laughs> how 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 very sad, how very hollow the indignation for all those who refuse to say that money and life can ever be compared." when all they're doing is forbidding the strategy that saves the most people for the sake of pretentious moral grandstanding. You knew that, and you still said what you did to Dumbledore. You deliberately tried to hurt Dumbledore's feelings. He's never tried to hurt you, Harry, not once. Yeah, I like the sort of the the kind of narrow focus of that, like, but still, like, totally 
you know, on point. Like the you tried, you deliberately tried to hurt his feelings. Is such is sort of kind of very a, uh, you know, just in the moment narrow focus thing of, and you would think kind of low stakes, uh, but it's sort of like kind of gives it gives it kind of a realism to it of like you know if you were if your motivation in that moment was just to kind of be hurtful and shitty then that kind of speaks to everything else you were doing um so i like it just sort of like kept it we had kind of a very sort of grounded vibe these few chapters and it kind of reinforced that yeah i i maybe this just stands out to me because i know some i i've i've known of situations like this um where he's wondering like why is it that he seems to be like mad at Dumbledore and like you know once he gets angry he just lets it go nuts and then he thinks is it because Dumbledore won't fight back no matter what you say to him however unfair he'll never use his own power against you he'll never treat you the way you treat him is this the way you treat people when you know they won't hit back James Potter's bullying genes manifesting at last Um, I've known people in that situation where they can be cruel to people where like people who basically won't ever be that cruel back or can't be. And it's like, maybe that's why that stands out to me so much. It it just, it strikes me as good writing when I can really identify with it. Yeah. Yeah, It's um, like, Hey, I've seen this picture before in my real life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I kind of, I got the same, well, no, I I also got an impression from that. It was similar, but it was, I was kind of more reminded of like people that lash out at the people that are close to them because they feel safe to lash out at those people. Um, that's like that's the sort yeah, of people I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, like meaner to. So besides, like, just somebody like, oh, I know I'm in a because he sort of like uh, phrases like bullying, which seems more like you know, kind of impersonal, like, oh, you're just a person I can dominate. But, but yeah, it reminded me kind of more of people that kind of neurotically, you know, are you know toxic to the people they are close to because they're the only ones they feel safe to be that toxic to. Um, yeah, and it was sort of like kind of was really kind of fascinating. Like this is sort of hairy, just like you know, ripping into himself and like criticism of what he's been doing. You know, kind of, kind of a, like a nasty dark vibe to it. Yeah. And like you pointed out that, um, this is where I kind of pulled this back from was, uh, he talks about utilitarianism that like, you know, that's the, like one of the standard rebuttals against utilitarians that like, Oh, then why aren't you out there, you know, capturing homeless people to sell their organs? Um, (laughs) like, you know, they're not contributing to society. You could save lives. Uh, and it's like, because we know that, you know, utilitarian math aside, that that's the wrong thing to do. And there are coherent versions of utilitarianism that also prohibit harvesting people's organs to save many more people. Um, but like the, the, the standard pitch of utilitarianism, like in the John Stuart Mill sense, um, you know, if you're looking for like a more, de- just because I, I can't let it slide that utilitarianism is that underdeveloped, there are more developed like modern versions of utilitarianism. I strongly recommend, uh, like Peter Singer. Um, he was on, let's see, the very bad wizards podcast some months ago, I think. And he laid out his, his current framework for utilitarianism. Um, and it's, it's more coherent in the way that humans can actually live and how we can be happy people while doing it. Not just, you know, utility maximizers at the same time. Um, I, I, like I said, I just can't let it be that there's uh, that this be where utilitarianism is because that's that's way my my ethics lean. Like I I haven't bothered developing like a coherent ethics mainly because I'm not you know trying to build a machine that has a coherent ethics. So I don't need to make mine perfect. Or just like um, or you don't need to develop one that you put a name on. Yeah, you probably exactly. have coherent ethics. You just don't you know haven't packaged them. Well, I mean you know like Harry 
doesn't have coherent ethics here, right? And he he's just recognizing that inconsistency, but he's also just like, you know, fine, I'm not being consistent. And that that's where he that's where the chapter ends, where yeah. he says, "But human beings can't live like that." Yeah, that was like my favorite line out of all of this. But yeah, I thought, and then, and because when he does bring up the utilitarian stuff, I thought like that fit in because to me, like the kind of the theme of of these things is like, okay, what? And I've already said this, like when you're operating under like high levels of uncertainty like that's kind of sort of like all the utilitarian like thought experiments kind of fall down if well what if you just have no fucking idea like you don't even know what if you don't you're not even sure of like the basis of this you know of the mental math you're you're trying to put together around this um and that that's sort of like and that's the space that Harry's had to kind of walk through with all of this is that you, you, nobody really knows what the right thing to do. And then we got to see Dumbledore's side of like what he felt the right thing to do is. And, and we really have no idea, you know, which one's, you know, who's right. Um, and what I liked about this, like, and I get, maybe just cause like putting it in the, like uh, it pushes the wrong buttons to say it's like non-rational, but like not at all in a bad way, but like to sort of like, it kind of validates the, the, the validates the rationality approach to then sort of realistically draw a circle around and go like, okay, this is the, you know, large but finite universe in which you can apply this stuff. And sometimes you have to, you know, go elsewhere, which I mean, depending on what you want to call it, you could still call it as like being consistent with, I would say definitely consistent, but you could even call it like still part of rationality. But to go to some points like, you know, at some, there's, at, there are points that come where you just won't have any idea what to do and won't really have any you know surface area to latch rationality onto and so you have to fall back to these like super lame you know rules of thumb and sort of general try not to be a dick heuristics um and that's kind of all you have to go with but that like that's the valid way to run at, at that moment and which then like you know, and that's like all of the like polysyllabic way to put that but it's just sort of like at some point you just have to like stop and just go like you know what I'm just going to try not to be a dick because that's the best I can do under a certain situation and I don't know any better. And I'll, you know, if I know more, I will try to do better. But for now, I'm just going to do the thing that, that feels the least like I'm being a dick. And that's sort of like when Harry says, but human beings can't live like that, is kind of Harry's sort of kind of acknowledging that. It's like, you know what, I didn't know what to do, but I just, you know, I just, my mother, Lily Potter, even if she could have, you know, known and should have been able to know that, like, that there was no value, there was no utilitarian value in dying to try to save me, did it anyway. Um, because that's just, because living, because human beings can't, to, to be other than that is human beings can't live like that. Like you just, you need to sort of put yourself in the base position of this is the kind of person I'm going to be and then try to like modify that with all the rational tools you can given any situation you're in. But eventually you'll, you, your, your baseline is a state of complete ignorance that you have to operate off of just sort of general rules um, that, you know, apply regardless. And that was kind of the one that Harry was going with is this is my friend. I can't, I can't not help my friend. Yeah. And, and I, I got to think, that's... like I said, like if I got to think like consistent with everything Harry did and the way this whole thing had played out, if there had been an actual thing Harry could have done other than this, that would have helped. He totally would have done that. And that wouldn't have been at all in conflict with what he did. But you know, in with without any other choice, it's like you know what my only the only option I have right now is just to threaten the fucking world and tell them I'm going to burn it down if they don't do otherwise. Like that's the only thing I've got available to me, so I'm going to do it because not doing anything is not an option. Yeah, I wonder like if uh, you know if somehow 
Dumbledore had had the foresight before this trial to say, hey, let me show you this memory and give you this wisdom so that should something insane like this come up, you don't, you know, go make some dumb decision, like throw away your whole war to save Hermione. Um, it If he had had this wisdom going in, I think Harry still would have made a similar decision. Yeah, I think right? so. Because what Dumbledore would have had to tell him wasn't like, oh, here's this general life approach of wisdom and blah, blah, blah. Um like the only you ha, you would have to give Harry information about the situation to let him know that like, okay, setting the world on fire isn't going to get you what you want. It wasn't just some sort of like abstract concept of oh you need to take a measured hand to blah blah blah. Um, it would have to be and and like and because what Dumbledore was saying like all of these you know uncomfortable gray area decisions I've made are because of the shitty situation we were in, that I was in at the time. Um, so I think for Harry to, all Dumbledore could have could have told Harry in advance to make him do something else would have been, I think, specific information to show him like, okay, this is the other option you have. Um, and I think like that's well, the difference. It wasn't, it's not so much like in the moment that like either of them were more or less moral. It was that, you know, Dumbledore was, had different information in different situations uh, with different, you know, ugly, shitty choices to make. And Harry's in a situation where he has a, there is no choice to make. Um, he's got, you know, blow up the world or do nothing. Yeah, no, totally. Or in this case, you know, give away all his money yeah. and leave the world intact for now. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm positing that I think that even if Harry had been told all of this, you know, he had been shown Aberforth's uh, ransoming and, you know, was told, hey, there's a chance that Lucius will try and ransom Hermione's life. You can't do it. And here's why. Harry might in the moment agree he might not but i think in in the at the time of learning that information but watching hermione you know being prepared to be dragged to azkaban i think he would have done the same thing anyway i think even yeah. if he had full information he still would have gone with his heart and yeah no i think you're right i think you i mean because that's the only you would have to give him information that just also that just gave alternate emotional validity to the decision you, you'd have to like let him see um like give him like a specific you know, insight into, okay, there's a war with Voldemort and this is what's going to happen. And if you do this, it's going to hurt your war against Voldemort. And here are the people you care about that are going to die because of that decision. So where he's going back to having just kind of a really then another baseline decision about, okay, here's, you know, people on list A that I care about that are going to die and people that are on list B that I care about are going to die. And now I have to pick among them because list C is just that they all die. Um, and so, so it would have to be something like that where it's just... Because I, yeah, I, I I think you're right that I don't you couldn't just communicate to Harry some just sort of like general life philosophy around you know trading benefits of blah 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 like it's not about like getting his head into the right space it's that you would have to give give him a different choice to be making because with with all that he's got you know there's there's no other choice it's just like let your friend die or let your friend not die I mean or the, the choice is let your friend die or be a hundred thousand galleons richer right um, and I, I think that. Honestly, I think it would be probably closer to like option D, which would be like, fine, I'll blow up, I'll blow everything up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I th- and, and that's sort of like because what Dumbledore is is saying, maybe not saying, but like where Dumbledore's head is at is, is that it's not let your friend die or be a hundred thousand galleons richer. It's let your friend die or let your friend be tortured. Let your friend go to Azkaban, um, or let all these other people get hurt. And you know, because there's a bunch of shit going on that you don't know about Harry. But so that's like Dumbledore is weighing all of these other which i would imagine like actual specific real things involving real people that just harry doesn't know about and that's what um 
that's what's going like that's the trade-off so i don't think it's not like they've got like different value on on human life or suffering or whatever it's just that dumbledore's got other things he's weighing at the same time that he's not telling harry about which is so why would harry do anything different yeah i think i'm just finishing my own thought experiment like saying harry went into this like they got to rewind to the day and go back to the wizard government and do this again like after this conversation yeah. Harry, I think, might have just gone for the Dementor option yeah. <laughs> and just killed killed everybody, um, or killed all the people who voted to send her to Azkaban anyway. Um, I still, you know, he, to... he could still, you know, not even kill anybody, but just like waste the Dementor right then and there, and and then threaten everybody. I don't know, maybe who knows? Yeah, maybe but that'd be another option. You but know what? I think I like his. Rash. I think his inner Gryffindor during the trial said, "I vote we destroy Azkaban anyway." Yeah, exactly, and we're not um, entirely. It wasn't entirely out of out of possibility that he wasn't capable of doing that it was like on the table yeah it wasn't guaranteed but it was like oh it's possible he might be strong enough to just destroy all of azkaban yeah i think it was 50 yeah. percent is what he gave himself um especially because he's planning on bringing fox with him too yeah. which he knows uh, counts as like yeah. bonus mana I'd watch. So. <laughs> yeah i'd buy tickets to that show, to that show. Uh, well that's cool i like that mm. all right so then everyone buckle up We've got the longest chapter we've covered so far. We should 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 cover this in about 90 minutes, I think. I hope so. I mean, there's a lot to go over here. So uh, this one opens up with Transfiguration Class. It's, uh, I think, all from Padma's point of view. I get them all. Padma Matil. As a twin, the fact that you conflated those is personally offensive to me. (laughs) You know, your twins all look alike to me. Oh, man. (laughs) Twinest you. (laughs) That, that sort of bigotry is what keeps twins from really getting ahead I'm a, in life. I'm a twinist. You <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, share one soul, don't you? You know, all right. I think I mentioned this before. That was one of my confusing bits about religion as a child. Was that I was told you were ensouled at conception. And yet my brother and I were conceived at the same time. And since we're, there are uh, But God knew twins, to put two souls in at the same time because he knew he was going to split them up. I just imagine, like, people in fancy robes at the Vatican sitting, like, you know, pondering, you know, at a table, you know, head in hand, like, oh, gosh, how do we how do we wrestle with this? Um, but, yeah, you know, certainly there was just probably dual souls in there. No, really, it's uh, you and your brother are both Voldemort. You're not aware of it. I like to think that neither of us have souls. Um, no, that's redheads. It's, it wouldn't really be fair for uh, one of us to get it. So, now, in a just universe, you know, the... The, the fertilized egg had a soul. You got to wrestle then we, for then, it. Then we split and God's like, oh no, fuck this unfairness and just took it, took the one. Um, anyway, luckily this one isn't us. One of you us. thinks you're self-aware and the other one is actually self-aware. I'm probably the, the philosophical zombie. Yeah, God, that sucks. Yeah, yeah. You're the one that is foolishly, you're under the misperception that you're self-aware. I'm not really conscious. Yes. Uh, you, heard it for, you heard it here first. That's just what somebody who was conscious would say. No, wait. That's just what somebody who isn't conscious but wanted to think they were conscious would say. Philosophy is some... hard. It's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not hard covering chapter 83 because it's actually Because it's so short. short. So Padma comes into Transfiguration. Harry's already sitting there staring off into space. We know what he's thinking about. And everybody's just making up shit about what happened. Yeah, I love it. Rupert said that the R's had discovered the defense professor had polyjust as Granger to fool Malfoy. Rumor said that Hermione had been bound by the unbreakable vow to be Draco Malfoy's slave. <laughs> Rumor had that Hermione had gone had gotten the Dementor's kiss. But if that were true, Harry would just be sitting there. He would be... Padma didn't know what General Chaos would be doing, or General Potter would be doing. Hermione would blink trying to think about it. 
And then Professor McGonagall gets there and people are still muttering. And McGonagall is just such a fucking champ. She's, She's had a hard it's day. It's like the most McGonagall but, thing ever. She's like, no, fuck it. We're having class. Today, children, we're learning about the this. The fuck is your homework? <laughs> right. You don't have stuff in. And then she, uh, Padma says, hey, uh, what happened to Miss Granger? You don't already know? No, there's too many rumors. <laughs> uh, we don't know what's true. I told you, Padma, what's true is the Wisdom Gummit found Miss Granger guilty and ordered her to get the mentor's kiss, and they brought a Dementor, and Harry Potter glued it to the ceiling and wouldn't <laughs> let it down. And... <laughs> She's like, oh, oh God. Okay, here, guys. This whole thing is ridiculous. I'm not going to detail. Let it stand that she's at Madame Pomfrey's and will be coming back to classes tomorrow. If I catch anyone bothering her, I should turn them into a glass vase and break and drop them. <laughs> I like that. And everybody's shocked, mostly because it goes against the rules of transfiguration. Yeah, not that she threatened to murder a, a student, but because that it, it violated the, it's, the, it's the rules, rules of transfiguration. I can't remember exactly which rule that was. Uh, what is the, I mean, yeah, the, to, oh, no, you can't transfigure people. That's the rule. Oh, yeah, okay. That makes sense. I was going to say, because you should be, no vases. I am curious what would happen. vase free. Yeah. Uh, well, I was, uh, yeah, so it's the person part. No shit. I was thinking, like, all right, so you transfigure a block of wood into a vase and then drop it. Like, the transfiguration wears off and you just get blocks of wood. Nothing that's, dangerous there. That's how you chop wood. <laughs> I'm sure there's a more magically efficient way. <laughs> Like uh, like incendio, you don't need to. St- is, you don't need to. What to, is chop this? Uh, well, yeah, if you need to chop wood, I'm just thinking you could just start a fire. You, gotta, you can't just yeah. start a fire with like a tree trunk. You need pieces. No, you need magic, and you just start a magic fire that keeps you warm magic. instead. Yeah, I guess you're, I, yeah, In fact, I there's even a warming spell a warming, that Harry can cast in his first year. Yeah. The, the, what are those marshmallows? Were there wizard on? cavemen? How'd that work? That is an awesome thought. <laughs> I guess this is sort of like just like shamans around. That's what that whole vibe I just, is. Look, I discover lightning and they just like start shooting lightning at people. There you go. I discover magic. All right. I want the wizard caveman. And what, and what is a, how does a, on my desk. How does a wizard caveman head. spell sound? Ungus <laughs> bungus? Like, <laughs> what, what is the Latin for uh? You're the, you're the Latin expert. It's uh is. Uh, Perfect. Yeah, I want that fanfiction on my desk by Monday. Ungus, I could conjugate. Ungus, ungi, ungum, ungo. Okay, yeah. All right, so what's what's the big Ungorum. windfall? What's the big delivery in this chapter that actually matters? Uh, the, yeah, the big payoff is uh, we have been de-Dracoed. Um, so we got a little bit that like, okay, Quirrell's not arrested, but Quirrell's been detained and questioned. He's going to be back soon, and if not, we'll get him back. But then the big one is like, well, what about Draco? And she says, oh, well, I'm sorry, but... Uh, Lucius sent in a letter and Draco will not be returning to school. Dun, dun, dun. That's, That's all the we're one. We get no, no explanation beyond that. I mean, one's not hard to draw. Yes. Lucius is thinking, I'm not sending my kid back with that fucking mad mudblood. I'm not going to accept that you know that's i mean so that's how it'll play but like lucius knows like even even though that like so draco will have a you know a sincere memory of the duel having happened blah 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 but like lucius knows something like when because like when harry called him out like uh what was that three chapters ago saying like oh you know this is a plot and you're just playing into that like lucius had to have known that because he's like mr canny you know plotty guy so he he knows that's what's going on so that's got there's got to be more to lucius's motivations than just like oh i'm afraid for the safety of my kid like there's got to be some like political benefit to it as well that's it i have a couple of guesses but i can't be sure how you many can't guess you read the whole damn book 
There's no I mean, guessing. Like, on on the one hand, it's like you know the the symbol like fuck you, you guys don't win. The, things are going back to normal. Like I'm not going to accept my loss here. Yeah. Um, I don't really know what Hogwarts loses by not having Draco Malfoy in it, but no no doubt Lord Malfoy thinks that Hogwarts is now less prestigious for not educating the the scion of the most ancient and noble house. Um, that's probably part yeah. Of it. I got like, yeah. I would get it's got so it's it would have to be something about the perception that it leaves for him to like have taken his ball and go home. Like I think there's, be there's other about, things like, too. What does that look like? Yeah, I mean. So that's like the calculation uh, he's meant is like okay, however this looks to have a Malfoy have withdrawn in a huff is the scenario that he wants to be in as opposed to just okay, and then Draco goes to school the next day, or maybe he yeah, just wants Draco I, away from Harry. Or maybe Quirrell has manipulated shit to make Malfoy want Draco away from Harry because Quirrell's trying to break up the Three Musketeers. How, would, how and why would Quirrell do that? I would, yeah, that well, that would have to be based fine, on... In, in, yeah, the why is fine, but the, like the how of that would have to be like something entirely like unknown at this point. There, there would have to be some like later we find out that Quirrell did X, Y, Z. I was about to speculate, yeah, and then I remembered that was actually like in the next chapter or two. So. <laughs> Not about Quirrell, it was about my other guess, but you actually touched on it. But we'll have to. I yeah, I'm really curious what... to like what comes up because there's this like gaping hole of what the fuck is going on with Quirrell right now. Like we've like ratcheted up a bunch of plot pressure around. Okay, what has Quirrell been up to all this time? Because he's just been super silent. But I'm out, yeah. yeah, and I'm also really I curious because because am... Hermione's also just been kind of like in zombie mode through all of this. So I want to like see like what, when Hermione gets like reactivated. What is, how do we well, see that? I am stoked that you said both of those things because <laughs> we are coming off of chapters 84 and 85, which contain both of those. Nice. Uh, oh, you spoiled it. You mean these chapters yeah. are going to have both Quirrell and Hermione in them? Are there going to the be wizards? Are going to have the characters still? There's no magic, is there? Oh, man. That, I, what, do you want me to just tell you how the book ends? <laughs> <laughs> it would have worked, too, if it wasn't for you meddling kids. All right, so full spoiler, there's no magic no in the next two magic. chapters. Yep. Magic is just off the table. They go back. They take place at a, a coffee shop in London. They're on the holodeck. <laughs> all right. They've been on the holodeck the whole time. It was all a dream. <laughs> this is, you know, when it's time to start wrapping up. Cause <laughs> both lost the ability to be la, serious. La, so. la, la. we got to kill about another 30 minutes, I think. No, I think we're good. Right. I, unless there's anything else you want to add to the last couple chapters worth of thought uh my random one we, we didn't decide that we should go off on this tangent on the next episode but my like idea of like all the other magical schools that ought to exist oh yeah my, next my, time my, my favorite one time being, being uh headmaster einstein of the magical school of tel aviv <laughs> and the the golems guarding campus i can dig it and the human sacrifice happening in mexico city oh man see yeah That's we'll have to cover those magical schools right. at some point um, oh yeah the casino well, empire keep, of the endless nation keep in mind no one can forget that we are doing the fan art contest which is now live and real at the time of this episode being heard by you it's a the thing listener. do it draw so, a thing so if, if you like making art and uh, want to try and, and like some money. money and more importantly share your art with the world everyone who votes will see all of you the art so win or not you get to you get the, the prize of having people see your work so I have no ability to create art and am probably prohibited from entering the contest for other reasons. So And Stephen and I uh, will say all sorts of flattering shit about it and be like weirdly, you know, weirded out that you all like do stuff around us just talking shit on a podcast. Super flattering. I, that's always weird. I know. You just, 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 kind of you, just awesome. you just start to live with it. 
It, it is weird that, like, I mean, you never quite get over the fact that people are sitting listening to this. Really, until you just mentioned it, I managed to completely forget it. So, like, I, I address the listener as a, like, an abstract thing. But, yeah, somebody's actually listening. And uh, it's a good time to say, like, thanks for thanks listening. For I appreciate it's, it. It's, it's, it's kind of awesome and weird. So, th- yeah, thank you, everybody. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. Like, this is, you know, I listen to a lot of stuff like this show. And the reason I'm making this one with Brian is that this show didn't already exist. And uh, it's, you know, I, I appreciate that some, someone wants to listen to it. So if you want to, uh, so draw a God, picture of it. Shitty, yeah. If you want to draw a picture of it, that's going to make a really shitty segue of saying if you want to show your appreciation with money or some terrible variant thereof, there is the uh, uh, Patreon for Doof Media. Um, and I mean, seriously, if this is the only Doof Media podcast to listen to. Do check out some of the other ones. I pitch that all the time, but I can't stress it strongly enough. Um, you know, Media MD just wrapped up, but they'll be on the Doofcast more and more. They're basically doing what Doof did, which is how they came to start the Doof Network in the first place. Um, it's a fun story in history. But yeah, go to Media MD, go to Doof Media. I mean, if you like making stuff and you don't like making art because you're like me and can't, um, check out Do the Right Thing, which is another podcast that is on the network that uh, basically you get four random words that are randomly generated that you spend 30 minutes writing a short story. I committed to actually doing one of those a long time ago and didn't because I forgot. So <laughs> I will make a note to write a short story. God damn it. I'll, those are my exact words. I will do that and then probably not tell anyone about it. You'll have to listen to Do the Right Thing to find it. How's that sound? Um, That's Matthias that does that one, right? Yep. Yeah. Does he do? Does he write every every single time? I don't know. That's hardcore. I, I, couldn't. I, I mean, it's even. only 30 minutes to write. Like there, it, That's the clock. Yeah. So it's not write a story using these words. It's spend 30 minutes writing. I guess so. If you like using these four words. Sure. Right. Um, I, I don't know if it's he does rough. everyone or not. Anyway, check out all that stuff. Go to doofmedia.com. See all the things that they're doing over there. We're doing over here, I guess. Um, and remember that you do have to be a patron to vote in the contest. And presumably to submit. Um, that's not a hard constraint. I haven't. Because, I mean... Uh, I, it would be great if you sub, if you were a supporter to submit as well. You'll never know if you won, if uh, if you're not a supporter. So, um, like a buck, people. Yeah, buck. Jump on and enjoy the fun. There are benefits. There's a Patreon exclusive feed. Uh, Matt Freeman has some dope ass comments with his brother Daniel on there. Um, currently, it's just them. I think on the Patreon exclusive feed, uh, the episode that is forthcoming with me and Scott on uh, The Last of Us Two is happening at some point we keep hitting scheduling conflicts and he wanted to play the game like another time through i think more slowly just to get the the real the real he's doing his homework. and he's what he's doing his homework he's and he's doing it in hard hard mode which uh, to me is just I, I i bet we'd talk about that but i think that that ex- that experience would be just too punishing to enjoy for me like it'd be more just about like not dying than being able to appreciate it um anyway there is there's lots of perks uh, you can check out our Patreon page to see what all the perks are for the different tiers. If you want to force Scott and Matt to, uh, you know, watch a movie and do an episode on it, you totally can. I'm thinking of doing Patreon tiers for this for this show too, or like adding stuff for this show on those tiers as well. If you guys have any ideas or what you think would be fair to, like, jump on and yell at me for 30 minutes about how I'm doing the show wrong. <laughs> um, if you want to, like, me. you know, say, hey, 20 bucks, if I give... Uh, Doof Media, 20 bucks for two months or at least one month, then Steven gets to talk to me for 30 minutes and I get to tell him all the ways he's doing the show wrong. 
Um, hundred bucks to yell at Brian. I think that's fair. <laughs> I don't. Is that like, for how long? I guess it depends. Really, thirty minutes. Let's thirty say. minutes. How? What is that? Okay, two hundred dollars. Yeah. Okay. I guess so. Yeah, that's not a bad pay rate. For, fi- of for fifty bucks, all you'll, the entire... you'll work twice as hard to convince me that I'm wrong. <laughs> if you guys have any good suggestions for how this this show can better serve into the the Patreon bonuses, let me know. You can find uh, the best way to reach me is probably pinging me on discord but the other best way to reach me is the same way you'll reach me through for the fan art contest which is uh steven at doofmedia.com or just go to doofmedia.com and hunt for stuff you can find all the things there i meant to bug me about specific like patreon tiers well yeah no like when they forget that they can just remember doofmedia.com and then they can find you on there that's right all right everybody thanks for listening and uh we'll see you next week for chapters 84 and 85 Bye, buddy.